0: The Rockies, and you're listening to AM 1500 KSTP. and the great American Southwest. I bid you all good evening, good morning, as the case may be, across this great land stretching from the Tahitian and Hawaiian island chains in the West, where we can conjure up in- images of, uh, oh, I don't know, Native girls, hammocks, great big. Uh, Pom fronds, just sort of drinks with little umbrellas, you know, out into the east and the Caribbean where similar visions are absolutely possible, South America where they're possible and north where we better be dressed warmly all the way to the pole and worldwide on the internet, this is Coast Coast AM, top of the morning for most of you. I'm Mark Bell, and it's great to be here. And tonight, we are going to continue our exploration of, you know, radio kind of way, of the pyramids. And we're going to have Boris Saeed back. Uh, he was a big hit last time on the program. Mr. Pyramid, Boris Sa- Saeed, I guess. And with him tonight is Tom Danley. Now, who's Tom Danley? Well, Tom is the engineer, a one-time consultant to NASA, and is a sonic engineer, and guess what he did? He is the one who did all the sonic tests in the King's Chamber of the Great Pyramid in Egypt, a place I just happened to get to go recently, I have fond and recent memories of. In fact, it will be etched into my life forever. So, obviously, we are going to talk, uh, you you know, about the pyramids. Now, we're going to also talk about the secret chamber, uh, believed to be located beneath the uh, left paw of the Sphinx, and what, indeed, may be awaiting there. Uh, But first this. I want to tell you a really, truly amazing story. Last year, in my state, he says proudly, of Nevada, Wells Fargo Bank discovered all of these coins, these $20 gold pieces. What a discovery that must have been lying maybe in a dark corner of the vault, or I wonder where they found them. That, of course, is uh, something you will find out in the history of these coins, which they will send you free of charge. So get a paper, pencil, these coins, and there are many, many, many of them, are absolutely astounding, not just because of the quantity, they found many, but because of the quality. As I've told you, a fine coating of gold dust, which is typical normally of coins fresh from the mint, was found on the coins. So what they initially did is to take photographs of the coins, because these coins were minted, all of them, in 1908, about 90 years ago. But they're so fresh, so new, that there's still is fine coating of gold dust. Now, what they will do is send you free information on the history of these coins and photographs of these coins, so you might see for yourself, free of charge, take a look. 1-800-359-4255 is the number. 1-800-359-4255. Are you That's right. All right. Let us see if we can connect with the parties involved. I suspect on this line, Boris Saeed.
1: I'm here. Good evening,
0: Art. Uh, good evening, Boris. Great to have you back on the program. Oh, it's nice to be back. All right. Let us see if the other half of this connects. Uh, Tom Danley, hello there. Hi, Tom. Uh, Where are you, Tom?
2: Uh, Near Chicago.
0: Near Chicago. And uh, Boris is up in Washington on some kind of island or something, right, Boris?
1: Friday Harbor in the beautiful San Juan Islands.
0: Okay. All right. So both of us are here. Um, I think that it would be appropriate, uh, considering that we've got a lot of new affiliates, we've been growing very quickly, uh, Boris, for you to give us a little bit of background on yourself and then for Tom, to do the same thing so we understand who we're talking
1: to here. Okay, I can tell you briefly that for the last uh, eight years I've been involved with making documentary films in Egypt. I started out with John Anthony West and Robert Schock and we um, created a documentary special for NBC which, which was hosted by Charlton Heston uh, which gave pretty conclusive evidence that Sphinx was really 12,000 years old and uh, part of... Uh, Part of that evidence had to do with the way some of the stones were lifted in the temples, and that's where I met Tom. Tom was doing sonic levitation experiments, uh, I believe in connection with work they were doing for NASA at the time, and uh, we featured Tom on that program. A lot of people saw that program, over 200 million people so far. It's won an Emmy, and it was quite uh, successful. Uh, that film, in in doing some of the underground testing to... to uh, uh, try and validate, uh, Dr. Schock's opinion that the Sphinx had been exposed to the weather for several thousand years longer than anybody thought. In, in doing the seismic, uh, backup for the geology, we, uh, we turned up a 30 by 40 foot chamber under the paws of the Great Sphinx. Uh, which coincidentally was right where education said it would be.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, we then spent a couple of years trying to get permission to drill directly into that room without much success. All right,
0: let me stop you there, Boris, okay. because you're getting into the story itself. Okay. Um, the guy who operated the uh, equipment that found the chamber was uh, Dubeky, wasn't yeah, it? Dr. Tom Dubeky. Dr. Tom Debecky. Uh But uh, Tom Danley... Uh, who's on the line with us, is, Tom, tell us I, about yourself.
2: Uh, okay, hi. Um, I'm an inventor and uh, engineer and primarily work in the acoustics and electronic area. And um, uh, most of my life I've worked in the acoustic field. And when I met Boris, that's what I was doing uh, at Intersonics. Uh, Intersonics was uh, a NASA contractor. We built uh, flight hardware. Uh, for the shuttle and sounding rockets, And uh, Boris's crew came out to the factory uh, uh, to film Levitation, and that's uh, uh, where I met him.
0: I saw in, uh, in the videotape that uh, Boris has, I saw your levitation of a material object with nothing but sound. <laughs> uh, how do you do that, Tom?
2: Well, uh... The technique that we used requires uh, a fairly intense uh, sound field. Uh, you can begin to levitate, let's say, something low density like Styrofoam with uh, around 150 uh, decibels, uh, which is quite loud. And, uh,
0: of what frequency? Of any frequency or of a lower frequency?
2: Well, it, in the film that you saw, we were using a high frequency, uh, around twenty two uh kilohertz or twenty two thousand vibrations a second.
0: Oh, that would be very painful to the human ear, wouldn't it?
2: Well if uh uh if you stuck your ear directly in the sound field, yeah, it would be uh extremely loud. Uh the high frequency like that, though your ears are already uh not very sensitive to it, where uh if, say, it were an octave or two octaves lower, it would be yes extremely uncomfortable.
0: Uh, from a technical perspective, why uh, a high frequency versus um, something very low, uh, which you would think would carry more oomph with it in terms of levitation ability?
2: Well, um, the size of the object that you're trying to levitate is... Pretty much uh, governs the frequency that you need to use really uh, yeah the uh, uh, the size of the samples that we were dealing with at uh they were well it's about the size of a P let's say uh, that's uh, a, around the quarter wavelength size for a 20 kilohertz signal
0: so in other words it's got to be roughly uh, resonant with the object's size.
2: Well, there is there is a range. Uh, it's not a hard and fast limit, but the largest thing that you can levitate is about a quarter of a wavelength across, and the uh, the smallest thing that you can levitate would be maybe a tenth of a wavelength across. So, uh, within that range, uh, you can levitate objects. So, uh, a low frequency sound would allow you to levitate a very large, you know, object.
0: All right, the reason for the connection to the research uh, between sonic levitation and the pyramids, uh, from layman's point of view here, has got to be that somebody, probably Boris and others, have speculated that the way the pyramids were built was with uh, possibly some sort of uh, sound uh, or acoustic levitation. Mm-hmm. In other words, how the heck did they get those great big rocks up there, but your experiments, uh, Tom, don't really demonstrate that there would be any way to convert that, do they, to, uh, something that would lift a rock that weighs how much for us?
1: Two and a half tons, some of those stones weigh. Mm-hmm. And, and some of the ones down in the lower temples, uh, in the, in the Sphinx temple, in the Valley temple, weigh upwards of 200 tons.
0: Uh huh. So, in the range of 20 to 200 tons, Tom, what can you levitate?
2: Well, uh, I can't levitate anything. <laughs> uh, no, it's uh, in theory you could still do it. It would be uh it would be difficult to produce that much sound. And uh for low frequencies would be uh, uh rather dangerous uh, sound levels for the people that were involved you know, being around. Uh it it's possible though that sound was used for other things,
0: too. Oh, absolutely, but I, I, I would like to just stop you and ask you, in your professional opinion, is there any way with technology you can even imagine that they could have used Sonics to lift these incredible rocks, and particularly as high as they
2: did? Uh, not that I see, no. Um, And as short of having a time machine, though, no, you can't really uh, say uh, how they did it. Uh, like I said, though, there are other things that sound could have been used for, like to reduce the friction uh, of uh, moving the stones. Uh, if you have uh, something that's vibrating, uh, moving a, an object across it, it will have much less friction uh, if there's vibration involved. So Interesting that's another uh, possibility
0: even when you talk to dr zahi was director of antiquities over over there and you ask him how the pyramids were built he goes i don't know you know i don't know that's part of the the mystery
1: well if i can jump in for a second i'd like to point something out when we interviewed when we did the experiments in the first show we interviewed a guy with a giant crane He had some humongous great crane the largest land-based movable crane in the world or something and E-flat said, I don't see any way you could lift these stones, even using two cranes. Yeah. Now, what what I think Tom's experiment suggests is that in theory it could have been done. And yes, we don't know how it's done today, but 50 years ago we didn't know how to float an object the size of a pea without touching it. So the point That's is true. that that if the principle works in a tiny object, why then couldn't a combination of these principles, uh, why, why isn't it wasn't just logical to assume that we will ultimately figure out how to lift bigger and better objects? Well, it's it's
2: true. The the principles are, uh, uh, don't prohibit it from happening. And uh, if they did have a way of producing the intensity and frequency that was desired, it's, it would be possible to do.
1: Well, you know, Art, it leads us into... Where we hope to be going next year with our, with our series of, 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 uh, specials. And that is the investigation of, of the principle of vibration as expressed in sound. Uh, Dr. Jim Hertog from the Academy for Future Science suggested to me one day that the, in, in layman's terms, the pyramid was the world's biggest music box. Mm-hmm. And, uh, certainly the, the test that we did with Tom there this last trip suggests that it was designed and built with materials that all contributed to
0: enhancing
1: certain resonant frequencies. All right. Which may have had a specific purpose.
0: The uh, the part of Tom's work with regard to the pyramids that I find most interesting is that done inside the king's chamber. I agree. Uh, uh, Tom, I got an opportunity to go over there a couple of months ago. Mm-hmm. Got gotten back to Lion's sarcophagus. Oh, excellent. And hummed and talked and was astounded I guess astounding is the only word I can think of Uh by the and I still have yet to put together all the right words to even describe it in words what I felt I haven't been able to quite do that yet but what I got in return was a, a total body feeling of some sort in other words the resonance produced in there affected my entire body and i'm not sure one of these days i'm going to come up with the right words for it (laughs) Um, now obviously you have just made a very long climb it's hot and you're almost in an altered state already by the time you get up there but that did not change what i felt when i got in that sarcophagus so what did you find sonically up
2: there well uh there's a couple layers to that <laughs> to the answer. All right. And uh yes, yeah, I certainly have to agree the acoustic effect laying in there is is absolutely phenomenal. Uh what uh what really got me interested was when Boris called and said, "You know, when you're laying in there, you won't believe what it sounds like." And uh <laughs> acoustically. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh but no, it is uh, very uh, remarkable and unlike anything I've ever uh, heard myself. What, uh, what we found uh, was a couple things. The, uh, uh, there are resonances uh, in any room uh, due to the dimensions of the room, and uh, that would also be true of the sarcophagus. And what we found was that when you're, for a person that was laying in the sarcophagus, Mm -hmm. Uh, several of the resonances of the sarcophagus and the room uh, happen to coincide at the same frequency. So, uh,
0: All right, let me stop you. How is that possible? In other words, the sarcophagus being of the size it is, and when you lie in it, of course, you have four walls about you and an open area above you to the rest of the king's chamber. Mm -hmm. Now, wouldn't the frequency, resonant frequency be dependent on the size of the enclosure
2: um yes the uh, the lowest frequency that uh, there would be resonances uh, would be set by the by the, the absolute dimension uh, however uh, at multiples of those uh, in other words were harmonics yeah harmonics exactly um, so there a room will have uh, quite a, a series of resonances uh, set uh by the dimensions of the room and several of the higher order uh resonances in the in the chamber coincide with the fundamental resonances that are in the sarcophagus so although the,
3: the room is
2: much larger uh, there are several of those resonances which overlap and uh, energy can be transferred uh from one to the other in other words if
0: uh, but the relationship is harmonic Mm-hmm. In other words, a multiple, uh, right. uh, the sarcophagus would be uh, a multiple, I would think, higher higher in resonance than the rest of the King's Chamber?
2: Y- yes. Uh, if you looked at the spectrum of uh, sound in the King's Chamber itself, it actually starts uh, well below audibility. And that, uh, maybe we should come back to... Uh...
0: Well, no, let's stay with it right now. Generally... What does an average human being hear at the low and high end?
2: Well, the, if you looked in a textbook, uh, the answer to that question would be uh, from about 20 vibrations per second to, uh, if you have good ears, around 20,000 vibrations a second.
0: So 20 hertz to 20K. Yeah.
2: Now, in reality, it's uh, the response or sensitivity of your ears doesn't just stop. At either end, uh, it just your sensitivity declines as you approach either end. So it, you actually can hear sounds that are much lower than 20 hertz. Uh, we built a uh, sonic boom simulator. <laughs> it's one of the projects at Intersonics.
0: A sonic boom simulator?
2: Uh, yeah, a system to, to produce sound on the outside of a house, which would be... Equivalent to uh the uh, NASA space plane going over oh. and um that system produced sound down to three vibrations per second, and once you have enough intensity, even a uh, very low frequency like three hertz is audible uh your Your threshold of hearing is around hundred and twenty d b so you have to produce
1: a fair amount of sound, but you still can hear it. Tom, when we were in the King's chamber that night and everybody got frightened, we were getting lower and lower. How far down do you think we heard? Remember when it all seemed to start to shiver and we all we all yeah. ran out of the chamber? All uh, right. When we sat up in the in the hall and yeah. did.
0: <laughs> Well, "I don't know about this night, Boris." I'm sorry. What uh, you'd not told me about oh, this night? I'm sorry. Night.
1: We were when we were testing one night. Tom got all his equipment set up, and and all of us, uh, the, the whole crew, everybody down. I'll tell you, as far as I was concerned, I thought we were having an earthquake. It was extraordinary, and everybody sort of looked at everybody sideways and nervously looked up at the ceiling, and then fled like, like jackrabbits out through the tunnel and into the into the grand gallery, from which we we, we uh, watched the rest of the proceeding. Uh, I just what I mean, it was an amazing experience. How how low down do you think?
0: How, how many of you were there total?
1: What do you think, Tom? Seven, or eight? Yeah.
0: Seven or eight of you. Uh, all taking off like uh, frightened chickens. Huh? Right.
1: <laughs>
0: all right, you two, hold on. We're at the bottom of the hour. <laughs> Somehow, I can picture that, particularly at night. I'm Art Bell, and this is Coast to Coast AM.
3: with Art Bell. From west of the Rockies, including Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, and New Mexico, dial 1-800-618-8255. That's 1-800-618-8255. Now again, here's Art. Once again, here I am, and guess
0: what, folks? I've got two supremely good reasons for you to go to my website right now. Reason number one is to see a diagram of the secret chamber that lies below the Sphinx. And where we believe the tunnel to it goes, the access to it goes. So uh, just a simple little graphic with uh, uh, with a picture of the, uh, of the pyramid uh, in the background and the Sphinx and the tunnel and what is believed to be under it. Now that's... Uh, in the news section of the website. But now let me give you a second grand reason to go up there. All right? We have a new product. This product we should all bow down three times to the east. Or maybe in this case the west. Uh, no, the east I suppose. Uh, and thank the German people for. As you know. I, working at, you know, here, doing a network program, I don't need to tell you, or maybe I do, time is incredibly important, incredibly important. I must have a dead, accurate clock, or I'm doomed. Well, I have fought the battle of the clocks now for a couple of years, uh, and tried different uh, wall clocks, you know, that kind of thing. And then, of course, there is the second horrendous issue with time, other than inaccurate clocks. And that is that uh, if you live in one of the many unfortunate states that twice a year have to change their time. I don't know about you, but I get angry. I spend half a day changing my clocks. All right, we now have a new product. Listen to me very, very carefully. It is called the Zeit Clock. It's um, from Germany, and I'm I'm no doubt not saying it properly as the Germans would say it. It is, uh, the best way I can think to describe the clock to you is, do you remember in school when they had a clock that goes, I do because... I watched it a lot. <laughs> it used to be a hobby of mine, watching the clock. And um, that is the kind of clock that I have to have for the kind of accuracy in time that I need. Now, this new product is a full-size 12-inch wall clock. If you go to my website right now, I did not take a good photograph of it. I just took my little, uh, studio camera and pointed it up, pointed at my clock on the wall. So it's kind of at an angle. But I want you to go to my studio, live cam studio, uh, shot and take a look at this clock. Now, let me tell you about this clock. In case you can't see it. This clock is accurate to within one
4: second in a million years. One second in a million years years. How can they do it? Well, uh, they do it by radio.
0: (laughs) This clock runs on a single double A battery. This clock receives signals that you would never hear, silent radio signals that come from the National Bureau of Standards in uh, Boulder, Colorado where they've got an atomic clock, a cesium clock. And many times, every hour, this clock automatically sets itself with the atomic clock in Colorado. Now, is that cool or what? Now, it automatically, brace yourselves, it
4: automatically
0: changes from uh, Pacific Daylight Time to Pacific Time. Or, you know, whatever time zone you're in. Or if you don't change, you can set it not to change. So, in other words, when the day comes to change, it knows. And it automatically changes itself. Hallelujah. (laughs) Hallelujah. And when you first get it, uh, you will notice you put it up, put the battery in. You don't set the clock. You just wait. And in a few minutes, it gets a signal. And it's, it starts going around like crazy. The second hand's going,
2: ew, 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 ew,
0: and it keeps going until it sets itself, and then it stays accurate to within one second in a million years. Guess what else? This clock has temperature and humidity dials on it as well. Uh, it is the clock I am using, and it can be the clock you use too. Guess how much? Now, I've got to tell you right up front, they're all going to sell out later today. This is an introductory product, but right now, the price is $99.95. <laughs> $99.95. 95 is an utterly, totally automatic clock. If you want one, get one in the morning. By calling Bob Crane, good luck, I would do it early. They open the doors at 7.30 a.m., 7.30 a.m. And if you want to see it, uh, just go up to my website and click on the live studio cam. And it's a poor shot. I'll try and get a better one, as a matter of fact, uh, to get up there shortly. But I wanted you to see this. It is so cool. One of my guests, Tom Danley... Who was a consultant to NASA and is a sonic engineer, and of course Boris Saeed. Gentlemen, you're back on the air.
1: I. I suppose I should ask you what time it is.
0: It is. Um, well, I can tell you exactly. On the yeah, West little, Coast, it is. Um, in a second. Uh, it is 10:42 and 55 seconds, Mark.
1: Mark. <laughs> <laughs>
0: this clock is so cool. Can I? Uh,
1: can I? Argue? Can I say something just briefly to, to your listeners who wrote in and ordered our tape? Yes. The last show? Yes, of course. That we were delayed about 10 days in production. We discovered a production glitch when all the tape's ready to go out. And so those of you who have not gotten your tapes, you're going to get them patience and thank you. You are all ought to have your tapes in the next week or so. Okay. Thank you. Uh, you're welcome. And by the way, um,
0: you know, I just thought of something. I gave the exact time, and I said, Mark, but I have a six-second delay. (laughs) And then I have about another second delay or so uh, by satellite. So um, you shouldn't have made me do that. People are going to sit out there and say, hey, man, that clock's wrong. (laughs)
4: Sorry about that.
0: Anyway, uh, let us go back now to the, uh, the King's Chamber. And, Tom, you said there was a relationship. Uh, harmonically, between the actual sarcophagus and the King's Chamber itself, and you began to tell me about all of you running out of there. Now,
4: was this at night? Yes,
2: this was, yeah, sure, okay. I think it was about. We usually started around eight o'clock or nine o'clock in the evening.
1: Um, yeah, I think it was about then. As, as I recall. I mean, what's the difference? It's dark in there anyway, right? Right. So we had our own light. We had our own illumination.
2: So, oh, so it's dead
0: dark in there.
1: I mean, we had we had full lights going. Uh
0: uh-huh. Okay. What actually began to happen?
1: Tom? Well, we did uh,
2: the first test. We did were uh, higher frequencies in the sarcophagus itself. Uh, we put a, uh, loudspeaker and a microphone in the sarcophagus and took those measurements. Then we switched to, uh, a speaker that produces very low frequencies called a, a Phoenix Cyclone. And that we put in the, uh, the King's Chamber itself and repeated the, uh, the same type of measurement, but now going down, uh, to below audibility and frequency-wise. And as we swept through the uh, various resonances, we found several in the low frequency region that were quite strong. And uh, those are in the range, let's say, of, um, of a very low note on a pipe organ, if, uh, if you can picture that. And uh, exciting those resonances with uh, that sound source uh, produces a fair amount of sound, and in fact, it uh, it was kind of <laughs> kind of scary at one point. Uh, the effect that that has. I mean, it's uh, it certainly hits your fight or flight reflexes pretty really hard. Does it really? Yes.
1: Yeah. An earthquake. It was extraordinary. I mean, you know, none of us were were faint-hearted in that room. And I'll tell you what, it was a fight to see who got out of there first. Um, um, we decided it was better to set up in the hallway to, uh, <laughs> uh, uh.
2: rather than.
4: What were you, uh,
0: what, fre- what frequency range were you in when you hit this, uh, horrendous fight or flight thing?
2: Uh, the, uh, the strongest resonance would be somewhere around the lowest note on a pipe organ, um which uh, is below 20 hertz. Uh, but we also found resonances that went down much lower than that. And, uh, the, the part of it that I think was most interesting, or, or curious to me anyway, was that uh, we had made a, a DAT recording, which is a digital tape recording sure. of everything we did. And uh, after we got back home had a chance to analyze the recordings in the computer, uh, one of the things that showed up was the presence of several of these low-frequency resonances uh, even when we weren't producing any sound. Oh. Those frequencies were present, uh, in the king's chamber, uh, all by themselves.
0: Now, how is that possible?
2: Well, uh, I, I made a mathematical model of the, uh, rough structure of the pyramid and treating it as simply as possible acoustically and saying that the, uh, air shafts and the the room itself uh, were similar to, uh, to blowing across the neck of a pop bottle, uh, which is called a Helmholtz resonance. And if you, what started me thinking about that was uh, a movie clip that Boris sent me that shows the clouds and uh, things blowing around the outside of the pyramid. So you certainly have uh, a reasonable source of excitation with the wind. And uh, the dimensions of everything involved uh, are such that uh, the frequencies that would be produced are right in the same range of what we found. In fact, the
0: where are these uh, openings to the outside? Because when I was in the King's Chamber, I saw no opening.
1: Oh, there are two. Uh, there's one on the one on the north wall and one on the south wall, aren't you, Tom?
2: Well, the the King's Chamber passages are blocked off. Right. Uh, the, what they call the star shafts or air shafts uh, uh, and it's I, I think somewhat questionable whether those are star shafts or not because uh, if they were uh, you would think they would be set up so that you could fight through them but instead they go about 10 feet straight and then angle up if you if you take the model and include both of those <clears throat> excuse me air shafts, and um, look at the prediction, and, and then say, "Okay, well, those are closed off. Let's model the main tunnel that goes into the King's Chamber." Uh, you end up with something that's almost exactly the same. So acoustically, the what you would expect with the air shafts being open is is pretty similar to what you have uh, using the, uh, the access tunnel that. El Mammon uh, curve to get in there.
4: Mm hmm. There d- are
2: things
1: also that when they built the pyramid, the sides were smooth. So, that effect of the wind blowing, if it was in fact the air shafts, which we have to assume at one point were probably open, if the sides of the pyramid were smooth, then the effect would have been more pronounced.
0: Uh, okay. Um, Why are there air shafts in there in the first place?
1: Uh, great question. Are they air shafts or were they not part of the pyramid of the giant great resonance chamber or music box or, or, or a scientific instrument of transformation, which is what I think it is. In other words, if the whole thing was designed, I mean, it's, it's beyond comprehension, it's beyond, beyond any sort of mathematical possibility that it's just accidental that the, that the sarcophagus and the, the room complement each other. And it's beyond, beyond the realm of possibility, I think, that, that, that if you take those star shafts that Tom was talking about, or those air shafts, and you assume that at one point they were open, otherwise why would they have built them? And of course, Gantenbrink's robotic camera found that there was a door at the end of one of them, I think, from the Queen's Chamber. If in fact those were part of this great vibrational instrument, then we're looking at the proof of an advanced society before our very eyes, which is what my premise has been from the very beginning.
0: I know. Uh Tom, uh, how likely do you think that is?
2: Well, initially uh, I would be skeptical of that. However, um, there are some things that sort of back that up. Um, if uh, if you looked at the field of meditation, for example, uh, meditation was... Uh, the, the first way people were able to control the state of their brain activity, right You learned a procedure which led to a, a change in brainwave state right. So then there was biofeedback that monitored your brain waves and gave you a better uh, access to what you were doing and would allow you to change states uh, much quicker than uh, learning meditation routine. One of the things that's popular right now are the what they call light and sound machines that have uh, headphones and uh, glasses with lights in them. That's right. And the idea with that is you, pre- <clears throat> excuse me, present your uh, brain with the stimulus that it just can't ignore, and you're sort of taken on a meditation ride.
0: And so that that is in essence what occurs. Uh, inside the sarcophagus, inside the King's Chamber itself, uh, is a sort of an altered state, is produced even by the natural, uh, forget the Tom Danley equipment, sonics and all the rest of it, by this uh, a subtle but uh, very interesting frequency combination.
2: Yes, and the uh, the very lowest frequencies that we found are certainly in the range of your brain activity in other words, the How frequencies correspond. The lowest frequency that we saw was, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, around uh, three vibrations per second.
4: Oh, my. Oh, my, that's very low. Uh,
0: Tom, what is the Schumann resonance?
2: Uh, that's, <clears throat> excuse me, I have a frog in my throat tonight. Um, <clears> throat> one of those is the... Uh, that by the time it takes, or, <clears throat> excuse me, a radio signal to travel around the Earth, and it's, as I recall, six or seven vibrations per second.
4: Right, exactly. I think it's around, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. actually around
0: 7.3 or 7.8, I can't recall, but somewhere right in that range. Uh, in other words, we might think of that as the actual frequency uh, of the Earth itself. Is that reasonable?
2: Yeah. Uh, a lot of people refer to it uh, like
0: that. So it's, it it's not a surprise, then, that our basic brain waves uh, or effect on our brain is achieved at about the same frequency. In other words, uh, maybe it's a stretch, but we are, in a way, in tune ourselves
4: with the Earth.
2: Yeah, and I, I believe the uh, alpha level of, of uh, brain activity is right around 7 uh cycles per second.
0: Yeah, there you go. So, it's reasonable to conclude that the Earth's frequency affects us. Uh, not so reasonable to conclude we affect it. However, however, I've had recent guests who have suggested the Schumann frequency is, for some reason, unaccountably,
4: rising. Have you heard that?
1: No. I've heard it on your program. And I've heard it suggested that perhaps the pyramids were monitoring devices by which our extraterrestrial neighbors could keep an eye on what was happening with the vibrations on Earth. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. One has to wonder if the Schumann frequency were to change, whether eventually that would have an effect on the human brain itself.
2: Well, Inceivable. I mean, we're uh, we're tied into the environment environment in uh, ways that people are still beginning to understand.
4: It sounds like you've got
0: yourself uh, quite a cold, there, Tom. Yes,
1: I have to apologize. If I can if I can step in and bail Tom out, there's an interesting thing it's brought out in our tape. Uh, the the these notes that Tom discovered among other things, form an F-sharp chord. Now, I'm not a musician. I'm sure there are a lot of musicians listening. I know, for example, that our composer suggested when he heard the notes that it sounded a little like Jimi Hendrix's Purple Haze. But we found an extraordinary thing, and we brought this out in our film as well. When we got out to Oregon, we interviewed a Yaki, a Native American Yaki, maker of, of ceremonial flutes, a named Ward Stroud. And Ward suggested that many of the Native shamans, when they made their sacred flutes, which were made to serenade Mother Earth originally, right. Uh, many of these flutes are tuned to the same F-sharp chord. So, in fact, these, these many of these American flutes that are handmade from hardwood 12,000 miles away uh, are tuned to the same frequencies as two and a half million blocks of stone in Cairo. Why would they do that?
0: I mean, is it just a sound that... We would uh, recognize and immediately identify with at a level we wouldn't even consciously understand.
1: Well, probably. I mean, certainly the shaman, the shaman knew. I mean, they, they, that's what made them shaman. They, they corresponded with the earth. They made flutes originally to serenade the earth, and then they were used to serenade their ladies and so forth. Uh-huh. But they presumably knew what they were doing. All right. Somehow, mystically.
0: All right. Um, Boris Saeed and Tom Danley are my guests, and they will be back following the news at the top of the hour. And we are discussing Sonics for now. We are going to get to the secret chamber, so stay right where you are. KSTP
3: bell is talking to first-time callers at area code 702-727-1222 that's area code 702-727-1222 this is coast to coast am with art bell From the Kingdom of Nine, It is. Now again, here's our... Yes, yeah, I'm always jumping the gun. Tom Danley, who's a
0: sonic engineer, once consulted to NASA in, uh, in that regard. And, of course, Boris Saeed are my guests, and we are talking inevitably about pyramids, specifically the sonic vibrations right now, the Great Pyramid. We'll get back to that in a moment. Told you to call. Just a small programming note. I have booked for this Friday night, Saturday morning, Whitley Strieber. And it's been a while, and Whitley has an incredible story to tell you about what's going on in Wyoming. And I'm not going to say any more about it than that. But believe me, uh, he's got quite a story. So Whitley Strieber, this coming Friday night, Saturday morning, uh, whichever way you want to look at it. Now back to Tom Danley and uh, Boris Saeed. all right, gentlemen. Uh, Boris, are there any questions that you think we should be asking Tom with regard to the uh, the Sonics in the uh, uh, the pyramid that we have not yet asked?
1: Yeah, there is. Uh, there's one question, and it's a it's a general question, and uh, I don't want to put you on the spot, Tom, but um, there have been uh, in my lifetime pieces of music that we just gravitate to. Uh, sometimes it's because of the, of the words like White Christmas, what have you. Uh, sometimes in the case of Jimi Hendrix, it's just like one song like Purple Faze. I mean, people who weren't even fans, uh, were humming that, were humming that sound. We're making that sound. Um, if we're living in a, in a vibrational world, if we we're living in a world of vibration, and vibration can be most easily interpreted as music, in color as well, do you think it's possible, Tom, that 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 we could establish around the world that these sacred sites, stone sites, uh cathedrals, stone circles, what have you, have been built with a certain sonic logic. And I know you have a paper that speaks to that in England, but but do you think that this is a wild goose chaser? Do you think we're we're really looking for something we might be able to uh to uh to actually demonstrate?
2: Uh, no, I think there is, there is something to it. Um, it. It's it's only been in the last oh twenty or thirty years that uh, detailed analysis of buildings has been possible through uh, acoustic theory. However, uh, some of the very best listening halls uh, that that have ever existed were built long before any of that, mm-hmm. and. Uh, you mentioned the paper, uh, that showed, uh, some of the ancient structures in Ireland and England, uh, apparently had been built to help reinforce the, the sound of the human voice. And, uh, so I think acoustics has, has gone from sort of a mystical black art into a, a formal science. Uh, but I, I also believe very strongly that um, in ancient times, there were people that were very skillful uh, and knowledgeable of acoustics, although maybe not in the same way that we are now. That uh, that designed, you know, say that some of the cathedrals and uh, yeah. halls and stuff like that.
0: Tom, I've got a question for you that is off the wall and uh, doesn't relate to what we're talking about, at least not directly. I have heard of noise cancellation in other words that it would be possible to take the noise coming from an aircraft for example or a jet or something and emanate a signal uh, as well that would uh, uh for the listener on the ground in essence cancel the sound of the aircraft mm-hmm. is that possible
2: well to to some degree it is yeah um uh the uh, oh. Basically, what you're producing is a sound that is exactly out of phase or the inverse of the uh, offending signal. Right. And when the two mix together, they cancel each other out. Uh There are a number of companies that make equipment uh, to do that job for, well, air ducts is, is one uh, uh, field where it's fairly popular to cancel the noise coming through an air conditioning duct, let's say, uh, and uh and also on machinery uh it's um it's something that's uh that's done not not in common practice but it's certainly possible
0: all right, my question would be this: let's say that you successfully cancelled the sound of a jet engine uh just for the sake of the discussion uh there would then be two opposite sounds. Uh, 180 degrees out of phase with each other, you would hear. the The end result is you would hear nothing. But would you still be aware of the presence of the sound? I I I'm not sure I'm asking this uh, properly. But the sound would still be there. It simply would be canceled. So, uh, if it were many many decibels, would your ears still be subject to that pressure?
2: No what uh really? what you're doing when you cancel the sound is you, you erase the pressure part of it. Uh, the the difficulty though uh is that um well in the case of an airplane flying by uh the closer to the source you can place your cancellation signal uh the more effective you you are at canceling the signal over the entire area. Right. Uh, if you had, let's say, a microphone on a pole in your backyard and a speaker system to do the job, <clears throat> you could cancel some of the sound locally. In other words, in your yard, as the plane flew over. But um, interesting. That's a that would be for fairly low frequencies where the dimensions of the wavelengths are, are large.
0: All right. Um... Now, back to the King's Chamber, uh, at Giza. Tom, what do you think, uh, the purpose of that pyramid, uh, was or is? Uh, surely we have not found, uh, pharaohs or people, uh, buried, uh,
4: there?
2: No, that's, that's true. I, uh, I don't know if I, uh, I don't have my own theory that's for sure but what I can say after actually being there and uh, going in a number of the places that we went to uh, that I went to with Boris uh a couple things strike me that for one thing the Egyptians were very skilled at building tunnels and caves underground
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, we went in one that was uh, over a hundred feet deep and had several different levels.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: And the pyramid also has several uh, underground passages that um, appear to come up underneath the, the structure itself. Uh, they're all blocked off now, but given the ease with which they they were tunneling. Uh, it's very easy to to imagine that there was an underground access to the uh, the inside of the pyramid. That would be one one observation. Uh, the uh, The other thing is that the, a lot of uh, a lot of the theories are about the pyramid say that uh, it wasn't a tomb. And certainly, the fact that they never found any uh, mummies or anything else that uh, directly pointed to that, uh, sort of supports that. If, if the pyramid were constructed to be a temple or a site of a, a ritual, um, then you have a whole different uh, scenario possible that the, that the sound part of the system uh, was intentional and was designed into it.
0: Actually designed to yeah. produce an altered state. All right. Uh, Then uh, a next obvious question, Tom, is uh, couldn't you duplicate the acoustic um, properties of the pyramid, uh, for example, on a CD or uh, with some sort of computer-generated sound return to a sound you would make? I'm asking, in some way, would it be possible... To come up with something that would duplicate the altered state produced by uh being actually being there
2: um at least to to some approximation you could yeah the uh, the one of the things that's completely unique about the pyramid acoustically though is you have a situation where you have a a structure that is about as rigid as it's possible to make yeah. I mean if you think of hundreds of feet of stone all around you that is a fairly solid object and um, so obviously that circumstance you wouldn't run into in a normal house or or even one made of bricks
0: so the suggestion there would be there are properties uh, when you're actually in the pyramid that go beyond uh, simply the sonics produced by
2: well the. The fact that it is so rigid uh, makes it have uh, its own set of unique acoustic properties. You you could, on the other hand, produce those same frequencies Uh uh, with the the speaker that I used to test with, the Cyclone, that's capable of producing those frequencies too. So you could set that up in a a room and uh, try and approximate the... The experience.
0: Have you done that?
2: No. In fact, just as the words left my mouth, I, it occurred to me, gosh, I should try and set that
1: up. <laughs> <laughs> well, what you guys are doing is reading the script to our second show, because one of the things we hope to do uh, here next year, early in the year, uh, is do some tests down in Mexico and Central America and some of those pyramids, and then do some comparison studies. And I'm going to ask Tom to 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 make a computer model and to see if we can approximate somehow these vibrations, and then do some tests. And, and hopefully with some of the people that are testing in this field, uh, like uh, Dr. Valerie Hunt, people like that, uh, if we can get them interested in this idea, uh, that's how I hope to prove that, uh, that Atlantis is, isn't buried. I think we're going to find it. I think we've found it. It's just a question of describing it in terms we can all understand.
0: I, I can tell you uh, one thing that Hawass uh, said to me, when we were standing by that uh, square hole in the side of the Sphinx, uh, Boris, yeah. he said, "Not one shred of evidence, not one grain of sand, not one thing ever found here at Giza uh, leads toward any conclusion or proof that, Ad- that Atlantis will be found."
1: Okay, tell me, how come you, 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 and Tom used the same words? You both lay in the lay in the sarcophagus. And you came out, and you were astonished and amazed, oh. And astounded.
4: Oh, I, I, I don't. Uh,
1: okay, dispute
0: that for one second, but I'm not sure how that relates to Atlantis.
1: Well, the point is this: that Atlantis is is a word that we've used to describe, sort of generically, uh, some pretty clever ancestors. And whether they were Atlanteans or Egyptians, I'm sure if we stopped calling them Atlanteans and started calling them Egyptians, we'd get a lot more support in Egypt. <laughs> I, I think you're probably right. But the point is, the point is that, that nobody I've ever talked to who's been a tourist, who's gone around Egypt, normal, intelligent people capable of earning enough money to go to Egypt on holiday. And they go through all the tombs of the left bank and they go through all the tombs on the Giza plateau and then they go to the pyramid. Not anybody that I've ever talked to in 10 years of working over there has ever said to me, gee, this feels like a, like a tomb. Everybody comes out and says the one thing we're sure it's not is a tomb.
4: Yeah, I agree.
1: Now you know I, Zahi Hawaz is a friend, and I have utmost respect for him, and I think he's an Egyptologist and an archaeologist and a very bright guy. But I don't think he's correct in this in this assumption. I think that 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 he is discounting the kind of stuff that Tom DeBucki and Tom Danley are are turning up, which I think speaks to a, a highly advanced. Um, I, uh, society which created this rational, logical structure.
0: I, I couldn't agree more, but that does not have to automatically lead to Atlantis, or uh, uh, point to the fact that it was an Atlantis society. It could have been uh, whoever was there before the Egyptians.
1: Oh, exactly. I, I, I've i never, I mean, Bob Shock said that in our first tape, I, that they're Martians or little green men or Atlanteans. I'm just saying that, that there was something here 25,000 years ago that was very advanced, and that's that's all we're trying to establish. We're not trying to put a name to it. I think that that Atlantis kind of has a mythos about it. You know, yes. it's just like uh, if you don't understand it, ascribe it to God and the angels. You know, I mean that's sort of the way our society works. But I don't think I don't I don't think that's the answer. I think we have to keep digging and looking and finding out uh, if this is a logical system. Who built it and to what purpose?
0: Well, I kind of like the idea that I had a little while ago, and that is. Again, I don't have words to describe what I felt in the uh, a sarcophagus in the, in the chamber. I have, I, there aren't words. However, it seems to me that if the totality of the experience is produced by the, uh, uh, the sonic properties in there, that that should be able to be uh, precisely plotted and duplicated. It should be able to be done. And if that would be true, you would then have the opportunity to test and see if you could produce an altered state similar to the one that you get in there, and that would seem to me to be a very, very
4: worthwhile endeavor uh, experiment.
1: Well, that's our that's our cause. That's our purpose for the next year, uh, uh, Art. Right, that's exactly what we're, we're setting out to do. With Jim Hurtock and, and Tom and uh, Tom DeBecky, We're we're setting out to try and do exactly that.
4: Now...
0: If you don't get the same results, then you, you've got to begin to imagine there are properties uh, with respect to the pyramid that obviously go beyond the sonic properties. But it would be a wonderful way of narrowing down uh, at least a little bit uh, w- what we're trying to figure
1: out here. Sure. Well, don't forget, Art, that the pyramid is very precisely placed. It's probably the most precisely located structure on the face of the Earth. And that perhaps had something to do with it, the directions and the, and, and the magnetic poles. And if you talk to, to, to Dick Hoagland, uh, uh, the location of the pyramid is, is central to the Earth and to the landmass, and God knows, and corresponds to locations on Mars. I mean, there are all sorts of, of possible coincidences, and I use the word coincidences in a different way, but I mean, there are, there are a lot of factors here which may have been part of an initial design. To create an extraordinary structure, we haven't um, scratched the surface yet.
0: Tom, how carefully uh, have you documented what sonic properties there are in the uh, in the Great Pyramid, and specifically uh, from within the sarcophagus?
2: Well, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, I I did a series of measurements uh, that seemed appropriate at the time. Uh, I did the sarcophagus uh, by itself uh and then the king's chamber and uh i also measured the uh the air shafts in the queen's chamber and uh the tape recordings that uh, that we made uh those we brought home and uh, analyzed further uh, using a, a very sophisticated package called hyperception and so the the information that we got, I think,
0: is is quite good. Would it be sufficient enough to duplicate uh, the sounds in the lab?
2: I I think so. Um, one of the one of the questions that
0: all right, hold, hold that thought, uh, okay. uh, Tom. And I think everybody out there knows what I'm driving at, don't you? Can you imagine a computer or a CD that could take you exactly where you go when you go to the pyramids? Now, that would be quite a product, wouldn't it? He thinks commercially. (laughs) I'm R. Bell. This is Coast to Coast AM.
1: The Talk Station, AM 1500 KSTP.
3: on the wild card line at area code 702 727 1295 that's 702 727 1295 this is coast to coast am from the kingdom of Nye with art bell yes and
0: i want to tell you that if you've got a computer a pc a an ibm clone well you better get ready to pull 99 bucks out of your pocket I had a Snappy about a year ago, and we sold it at that point for some distributor, and I thought it was an amazing product. I mean, it would take a a VCR camcorder uh, or TV signal, and you could actually... It's it's some software. They've got a little preview window, and you can see what's playing in the recorder or your camcorder or TV signal or whatever. And the minute you see a picture that you want, you just would go click, and it would put a picture on your PC, a still photograph.
4: Well, they sent me the
0: new Snappy and the new Snappy software about a week ago. And I have never in my life seen anything like it. The new software, uh, version uh, 3.0, and the new chip, the blade chip, <laughs> they produce stills that, if anything, come out with more resolution than the original. Now, I don't know how that is possible. This chip does it in a proprietary uh, manner. and But it works. Now, you don't have to open up your computer. To add Snappy, because your Snappy plugs right into the parallel port, same place where you plug in your printer, and then you just hook up the video output of a recorder or a TV or a, a camcorder or whatever, and you're in business. You can do it for uh, you can use it for newsletters, putting stuff on websites, as I do, school reports, business proposals, you name it. As a matter of fact the new uh, Snappy software even allows you to attach them and send them in email. This thing is beyond belief. It is available um nationwide at any computer store. So what I'm telling you is uh if you've got a PC of any sort and you don't have Snappy, believe me, you don't have a whole PC. So go to uh your favorite local computer store and say, I want Snappy, and that'll be that. Price, $99. Snappy. All right, back now to my guests, Tom Danley and Boris Saeed. Uh, Gentlemen, welcome back. I've got something I want to read you here, uh, which I think is dead accurate. Art, here we go again. If you want some proof that Egyptians, as we know of them, did not build the Great Pyramid, look at Cairo. <laughs> you know, uh, I remember standing on Giza looking at the pyramids and the Sphinx and turning around the other direction and looking at Cairo and the man has a point.
1: Yeah, well, you know, and we're building shopping malls too. You know, John, John West once said that our civilization would be remembered for striped toothpaste and shopping malls. I mean, our civilization is in decline and I think that Cairo is is as fitting an example as New York City, for that matter. You know, I, I mean, it's, it, it, I don't think, I, I mean, it's popular to go Egyptian bashing, but I think that the ancient Egyptians, whoever they were, built some of the most extraordinary monuments on Earth. Oh, yes. And we have now evolved with an artificial society into the point where you don't have to do stuff like this. Instead of creating vibrations to lift a stone, you fire up a diesel crane you know, pollute the atmosphere. I mean, that's the problem. We're going downhill and it's not just the Egyptians that are declining.
0: Well, again, I think part of science uh, is confirmation, repeatability, and many times it is the elimination of things. And if we were to sonically uh, duplicate precisely in a room, which I believe we could do, Tom Danley would be the guy, and we got the same altered state, we could then begin to conclude that, uh, that uh, that, vi- that set of vibrations and harmonics uh, present is indeed what produces the entirety of the experience there. And then, Tom, you'd be a multimillionaire because you could produce something that would produce that altered state in people. So I'm giving you a great commercial idea. Or it wouldn't work at all, and we would then uh, be able to eliminate the sonic uh, component at least as the the, the sole uh, reason you feel what you feel up there.
2: Well, I think at least to the first order, uh, in the region of your voice, you probably could uh, duplicate the uh, the acoustic effects in there, uh, possibly even on a computer sound card. Um, yes, the uh, a DSP system you probably could do a, a pretty accurate job. Of, uh, of producing the effect, producing the sound that's present, that would take uh, a, you know a specialized loudspeaker system in order to go down that low, but those exist too. I mean, that's that's what we used to test with. Um, as far as uh, making a million dollars, I like the idea of that too. <laughs>
1: so.
5: <laughs>
2: Well, just,
1: you know, you can hear a little of it, Art. I mean, if you listen to the, to the soundtrack on that tape I sent you, the, at the very end, over the credits rolling, we went down. We used the sound that Tom actually made from, from the highest down to the lowest. Right. At the end. Right. And I think people that have gotten that tape, uh, uh, will have heard it. It just gives you some small hint as to, as to what happens when you're actually there.
0: There's also the sound of the F sharp, uh, uh, flute. Yes. Uh, which was very interesting. I just think it is a, uh, it would be a remarkable experiment to do. Now I understand it would take uh, probably lab conditions. It would take uh, the right kind of reflectors and very specific speaker systems producing uh, uh, low uh, low frequency amplification and all the rest of it. But it sure would be worth a try.
1: Well, yeah, I. Uh... Certainly, I'm going to... All right, we're having a series of meetings this weekend uh, with a gentleman who I hope is going to join us in just exactly this sort of an experiment. And he knows a lot about sound and making sound. And uh, it's one of the things I'm going to be talking to Tom about literally over this weekend. But this is something we're about to do as a punchline to our next documentary. So we might have an answer for this in the next uh, in the next couple of months.
2: All right.
0: Uh, very good, Tom. You were not involved in any of the Dubecki, uh radar stuff, correct?
2: Yeah, that's correct. All right. I did go down in the well uh, with uh, with Boris a few times, so I know I know where he's talking about.
0: Now that is a scary trip. Yes. <laughs> uh, and, and I'm sure after you've done it several times, it, it gets to be not quite as scary. But the first time you go down, that is scary stuff. Mm-hmm. My
1: opinion. Well, I respect you for going down there. I'm I'm glad that, uh, but I'm glad, aren't you glad you went? Yes. Oh, good.
0: <laughs> yes, uh, but at the time, you have quivering second thoughts, believe me. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, a representative of one of the major networks got down as far as the second level, and he pled. And as a matter of fact, we took him down there on Halloween, which was really funny, a couple of years ago. Oh,
4: great. And
1: he got as far as that first sarcophagus there at the second level, and that was as far as he was going.
4: I'm out of here, guys, huh?
1: (laughs) By the way, you know, you were talking about the snappy. I'd like to add a a word of praise here. My webmaster, Matthew Sapporo, got one today, and he is, as we speak, taking images off my off my videotape and putting them on my website, which is, I guess, linked link to yours, MagicalEye.com. But he's, he's raving about it. Called me up today and he said it's the most extraordinary thing he's ever used. Oh, it is. So there's a, lot of, a lot of those images are actually going to be on the website uh, during the course of tonight. Okay,
0: good. Uh, yes, I believe we have a link up to you. If we don't, we'll restore it. But okay. I'm, I'm sure it's still there.
1: It's MagicalEye.com in any event.
0: Yep. All right, uh, Tom, is there anything else you want to get out? We're going to continue with Boris, and I know you've got kind of a cold. Uh, yeah. I, and, uh, and I know it's late where you are as well. So is there anything else uh, that you want to tell everybody you're going to do when you go back?
2: Well, uh, the things that I'd like to do going back would be uh, mostly improving certain aspects of the measurements. Uh there were a couple things I thought of after we got back uh, that that would have made sense to do, but I didn't think of beforehand so <laughs> there's that kind of stuff uh, the uh basically i would I would just repeat a couple of the measurements and uh take more take more <coughs> excuse me time with the digital tape uh recording the uh, the ambient sound and uh, i so all, all I can really say was that it was a fascinating trip, and uh, I I can't help but be very impressed with uh, with the pyramids and the people that built them. It's uh, absolutely remarkable. If people built them. All well, right. Yeah.
0: All right, uh, Tom, my friend, then at that this point, then I think I'm going to thank you, and I'm going to continue uh, with Boris, and I'm going to look forward to hearing from you when you come back after this next trip. Okay. Tom, thank you. Uh, good
1: night, all. Thanks. All right. Night, that, Tom. All
0: right that's uh, uh, Tom Danley from near Chicago, where it's a little bit later, and he's getting ready to go to bed, I suppose. Yeah,
1: he's a very brilliant guy. Just
0: about everybody I know right now is down with a cold of some sort for us. It's a... Uh,
1: not it, me.
4: So, really? No, not me. Good. Uh, good.
0: <laughs> uh, then maybe you can carry me, because mine lingers. Wow. Anyway. That's Um. All right. You've got a lot going on. Now, the last time you were on the program, uh, we talked a lot about the secret chamber that we believed to be below the Sphinx. Right. Now, the one thing I did lift off your tape, which is on my website right now, is the diagram. I guess it's a, a picture of the pyramid and the Sphinx, and a, a sort of a diagram that shows where you think this secret chamber is. Now, this was predicted by Edgar Cayce to be there. And I think Edgar Cayce said it would be opened in 98 or 99. I'm not sure. That's right. Um, And you want to open it, don't you?
1: Yeah, I'd like to open it. Uh, I am not 100% convinced that the chamber we want to open is the one in the diagram. There may be a chamber beneath it, down a level. But we won't be able to find out until we get into the chamber in the diagram. In other words, the, the radar only bounces off one level at a time.
4: Uh-huh.
1: So if if there's a deeper chamber, it may be deeper. Yes, I'd like to get in there, absolutely, simply because that's what seems to be motivating everybody.
0: All right. Well, there's nobody in Egypt uh, who is going to let you drill uh, or tunnel down below the Sphinx. They're just not going to let you do it. I agree. So. Uh, we you, you you now have shown what you believe to be a tunnel going from this chamber back toward the pyramid
2: and back towards the space.
0: Yeah. Now, how sure are you that that is there?
1: Well, I'm I'm this sure, Art. Right. The the radar and the seismic um, uh, tests indicate. A 30 by 40 foot chamber about 30 feet below the pause. Right. They indicate that they may be filled with rubble or some substance. They're not sure what's going on inside there. Becky said it would appear to be half full of rubble. Uh, we also did radar tests across the back of the stinks in that 20 foot space between the rump and the cliff. Right. And at that point there is indications of a two and a half meter wide tunnel down about 15 feet. Now, immediately to the west of the rump of the Sphinx is the cliff, and you go up about 40 or 50 feet, and then the land begins to rise up towards the plateau. That's right. So the radar, which is accurate to about 50 feet, is useless the minute you get it up to the top of the cliff. Mm. However, there is a straight line coming out from under the Sphinx, which we've clearly documented which which establishes a direction in that 20 feet of excavated floor there behind the rump of the Sphinx, if you follow me. And and that goes directly in the direction of the Chephren Pyramid, which coincidentally is exactly where the causeway goes. Now, 300 yards west of the rump of the Sphinx, directly under the causeway, is where that well chamber is that you went into and that we've got yes. all the pictures of. Yes. And at the bottom of that, well chamber. De Becky's radar shows two and a half meters down under this, what we consider to be a fake sarcophagus lid, this polished black granite slab. Under that is a is a cavity, which is two and a half meters wide, has a domed ceiling, and according to Dr. Debecki, uh, heads off in the direction of the Sphinx, precisely, descending it at, at an angle of about twenty five degrees.
4: So you think that
0: is the beginning of the tunnel that would take you down to the chamber below the Sphinx?
1: Well, I, I don't, I'm i not going to say it's the beginning. I'm saying that there's a tunnel there. I have a feeling that the tunnels, that, that the Rosicrucians were probably right, that the, that the, the pyramids, the three pyramids, were linked to the Sphinx, and that there was probably some sort of temple-like structure to which all these tunnels came together and then went off in one grand tunnel to the Sphinx. And that that temple-like structure may even be a part of what we are beginning to see at the bottom of that well chamber because there are clearly some right angles down there and, and, and crumbled pillars and so forth. Mm. So so what I'm saying is I think that there was an underground access, yes. Do
0: you think that ultimately, uh, this is a speculative question, of course, but that when we get to this chamber below the sinks, or even one below that, that we will discover the reason for the pyramids?
1: Um... Well, it's certainly possible. I, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet against it. I mean, I, you know, Edgar Casey uh, was a pretty clever guy, and, and he's been pretty accurate. So if he says the records are there, who am I to dispute it? What I think is that that, that Tom and and I are gonna <laughs> are gonna find the answer, possibly before we're allowed to excavate. But in any event, we are certainly bent on getting into that into that chamber.
4: Now, how do you
0: think you might, how do you might imagine, how do you imagine you might find the answer before you can go
1: there? Okay, I think that I think that if Tom's uh, logic is valid and the the pyramid is some sort of a giant resonance chamber, and if this winter we're able to to establish some sort of a relationship between the pyramid of Giza and the pyramids at Teotihuacan and Palenque. Yes. And if we're able to show that these structures did in fact have a a sonic logic about them, then I think even the flittiest heart is going to have to say, hey, wait a minute, these guys are onto something, and there's some scientific reason now to look further. And then I think some of the mathematical uh, similarities of the pyramids are going to uh, come into play, and the geometric similarities, and I think we're going to begin to realize that they were all part of some sort of a giant grid system. That's what I think is going to happen.
0: Can you explain to me how there would be pyramids all over the world, not just at Giza, they are the most obvious, the most above ground, the biggest, but there are pyramids all over the world, South America, Peru, Japan, England, uh, everywhere, There you, you find pyramids. Now, at that time, uh, whether it was when they believed the pyramids uh, conservatively were built or when you believe they were built, there was no worldwide
4: communication of any sort. That we knew of. That we knew of, right. So, how could pyramids be all over the place?
1: Well, there is what they call the hundred monkey theory. <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, it is conceivable that all of our inspiration came from the same source that's what most religions are teaching
0: oh okay oh well that wouldn't be really the 100th the
1: monkey well no but what i'm saying is it could it, there are lots of different potential explanations but what i want to know is how come the american the native americans had the same knowledge of residence apparently that the egyptians did and managed to produce it with a piece of carved wood where the Egyptians were producing it with two and a half million blocks of, of stone. I want to know how come there is that correlation. See, that can't be a coincidence. And that's what I think we have to study. And bear in mind, as I keep saying, I'm a, a humble filmmaker. I make documentaries. I'm trying to get guys like Tom Danley and DeBecky and, and Bob Schock and some of these some of these men of letters, some of these brilliant scientists, to work on these problems. Mm-hmm. I don't have an answer. but But I think I'm pointing out a relationship that demand some sort of study.
0: All right. You're going back to Egypt, and last time you were on, we had the long discussion about the involvement with Shore and all the rest of it going over there. Right. You're kind of on your own now.
1: Well, yes. Here's what I'm hoping to do, as you know, and you've certainly been very helpful, and I hope later I can sneak in an 800 number. We've been selling these tell-all tapes, which are basically a compilation of what I've done in Egypt and where we are today. And we are hoping that enough people are going to buy these tapes to allow us to go back to Egypt and persuade the Egyptian government to open this tunnel themselves, not the Shore Foundation or Florida State University or Boston College or anyone like that, but the Egyptian Antiquities Department, University of Cairo, whatever. We're going to try and persuade them to open this tunnel because so many thousands of people want to know. And and hopefully we'll have permission to to do a co-production on a film over there. Which will bring this news to the world. It's two and a half meters of already disturbed earth that we've got to penetrate to see if this tunnel exists. And I'm hoping we're going to get permission. I'm hoping to go there in December and uh, speak with the new minister of uh, the new uh, secretary of the Antiquities Council and the minister of culture to get this permission.
4: Um. All right. We talked about this
0: uh, a little bit earlier. Now the fellow who runs uh, Giza. Is Doctor Hawass?
1: Doctor Zahi Hawass, right? He he is—he's the director of the Giza Plateau and Saqqara.
0: And so, what you're talking about is going over there and going over his head.
1: Well, in a sense, I think Zahi's been very—Doctor Hawass has been very helpful to me, and he's taken it as far as he can go.
0: All right. On on that note, hold tight, and we'll be right back. Said going over Zahi's head. Last Saturday evening Came to the
6: old oak tree It stands beside the river Where you were
0: to you meet Gotta wonder what a headless Boris Said would look like. We'll be right back. On
6: the ground, your glove I found With a note addressed to me
0: It
4: read the single
3: to fax art bell in the kingdom of nine dial area code 702 That's area code 702 727-8499 Please limit faxes to one or two pages This is Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell It is, and if you want to talk about music that will produce an altered state This,
0: I guarantee, is some of it It's the new Cusco album of 3 Nature, Spirit, and, dried. and by popular demand, and I mean popular demand... Higher Octave extended the special through November 15th. You know, there's just been a great outcry out there for a Purimac 3. It's understandable. It is $15.98 for a CD or nine ninety-eight for a cassette. The number to call right now and the first 10 people who call tonight, only 10 now, get an autographed CD by Michael Holm, Cusco's Michael Holm. The number is 1-800-562-8283. one That is part one. Part two gets you a Permat One, two, and three... For $39.95, and that's what I recommend you do. And you get an autographed poster of the Buffalo Spirit Warrior featured on the cover of Apuramac 3. So, those are two deals. One gets you Apuramac 3. The other gets you all three in the Apuramac series. And the offer is coming to a close. Telling you, don't wait. This is remarkable, remarkable music. Call 1-800-562-8283. 1-800-562-8283. All right, in the first uh, hour and a half or so, we had Tom Danley here, a sonic engineer, at one time consultant to NASA, who did the sonic recording work in the Great Pyramid uh, ...at Giza in Egypt. And we talked to him about the sonic properties there. Very, very complicated and unusual. Now we've got Boris Said, ...and we're talking about what Edgar Casey said would happen. In 1998 or 9... ...a chamber would be found below the left paw of the Sphinx. Well, guess what? Dr. Dubeki. Uh, in concert with Boris Said went over and took ground-penetrating radar and found the chamber. Oh, there's no question about it. It's there. We don't know what's in it, but it's there. And now, they also believe there is a tunnel uh, which will enable us to get there. Uh, now, if you can picture this... Now, you don't actually have to picture it. Go up to my website right now. And, in the new items, just go on and click over, and you'll see the pyramid with the chamber uh, beneath the sphinx, you'll see the sphinx and the pyramid, and the chamber beneath. and this tunnel that Boris Said and others feel is there of uh, uh, going to a a uh, point uh, uh, in what's known as the causeway or below the causeway, uh, where you can go down into a deep, dark, dank well. At the bottom of which, you will find a fake, underline the word, fake sarcophagus. Nothing was buried there. The Egyptians apparently used a sarcophagus cover to scare people away. And, frankly, it still works to some degree. But beneath that, um, Barzai feels that he will find an intersection to the tunnel that will take him to this incredible chamber below the Sphinx, where many feel um, the Hall of Records, what is called the Hall of Records, will be found. So back now uh, to Boris Saeed, and as we came to the top of the hour, he was telling us he's going to go over and talk to the miniature of culture, who really is the boss of uh, Dr. Zahi Hawass, who runs generally... Giza uh, with, I think it's fairly said, an iron hand. Is that fair to say?
1: Well, yeah, he certainly he certainly seems to be the director of the plateau. And I'd like to say, or just to correct a misconception, he he's never been anything but friendly and helpful to me. He's let me right. film everything I've ever wanted to film. Right. And the problem is this: in 1995, when we were, a, I thought, on the verge of of, of getting into this, uh, getting underground. Uh, I signed on with Dr. Shore, and the application for permission to dig and so forth then became the province of Dr. Shore and Florida State University because Dr. Bawaz had suggested that we needed an academic institution to join with
0: us. He said that again and again, by the way, when that's I was right. there.
1: That's right. What I propose to do now that's different, and which is why I think we're going to succeed, is I propose to go over there independently financed and suggest to them that they open their own town, and suggest to them that they open it with Egyptologists who are Egyptian, with archaeologists who are Egyptian, trained at the University of Cairo, under the auspices of the of the Antiquities Department, under the auspices of the Minister of Culture, and we would simply be the recording entity that would bring this news to, to the world, Uh, in, in concert with the Egyptians. That's all I'm suggesting. I'm not suggesting that because Zahi has said no, I'm going to go over his head. Zahi has never said no to me. Zahi just said at a certain point, now you have to go to the committee. I have never, personally, I, Boris, have never applied for permission to the committee. It has always been an application that's been made by in the one case, in the original case, John West and Boston University, Boston College, and in the second instance, by Dr. Shore and Florida State University.
0: Well, I asked uh, Zahi, by the way, for the record, when I was there, about uh, John, John Anthony West, and his comment to me was, by law, he is not
4: allowed on the plateau.
1: Well, well... He did it to himself. He certainly is the guy that got me to Egypt, and he certainly is the guy who, who, whose theory it was that led to the discovery of the room. I'll give him that credit. Well,
0: give us a little bit of history. Why is there this great rift between John Anthony West and uh, uh, Dr. Zahi Was?
1: Well, <laughs> there, John is a maker of great rifts. That's what he does best in the world. John and I originally met when we were teenagers. And there's a great rift between Boris and John now that, that John created. John, uh, John loves to have a war with people. John, when I went to Egypt with him originally, he told me that I was going to meet this mortal enemy, Zahi Hawaz, who was dedicated to our destruction. Uh, that's how it started with Zahi. Uh, you know, it was Zahi and... Why
0: did Mr. West feel that Zahi was dedicated to his destruction?
1: Well, here's the thing. John, John is... Uh, a, a very well-educated guy, and I think a brilliant guy, but he does not have the kind of doctorate that it takes to impress the Egyptian academic society. I see. So John was always angry because all he had was a B.A. from Lehigh, and, and he was forced to, to use guys like Robert Schock, who's brilliant, and, and, and uh, Boston College and so forth and so on. I think John, there was always a resentment by on the part of John that he was being put down by people for his lack of academic tenure. Hmm. So he was angry to begin with, and he's angry, in fact, most of the time. That's part of his charm. And and he alienated everybody. I mean, you know, it, it's it's uh, the same way as, as Robert Boval is all over there, and I don't know how. I wasn't present. I don't know what was said.
0: All right. Uh, as a matter of interest, you might tell me what I'm in for. This uh, May 10th through the 17th, I received several calls over the last two weeks from Dr. Zahi Hawass. And he said, you're the only one I trust, Art, to moderate this. We're going to have this trip to Alaska, and we're going to have on this trip myself, Dr. Hawass. And he's going to bring the number one Egyptian belly dancer, he says. And he said that. And Daniel Brinkley, who would be more or less neutral, I think, but also... Graham and Robert
1: Bavall. I've been invited too. Have you? Yes, I have.
0: You, uh, I guess you ought to come along. Um.
1: <laughs> I don't know whether I should or not. I may see you off. <laughs> these are important town heads when you come back. Yeah,
0: I know. I'm a little concerned about that myself. Uh, my job is going to be that of moderating between all these guys. And they may all finally get angry and decide that I'm the one who should be beheaded. Um, I'm a little concerned about it, but it's going to be very, very interesting. I'm really looking forward to this, sort of.
1: Well, I'm going to go if I'm given permission to film. I'm a a documentary filmmaker, and I am not a firebrand, and I am not going to take sides, and I'm not going to get into a war with those guys, no matter what they say.
0: Mm -hmm.
7: I'm
1: just not going to do that. I, I want to get the story out.
0: All right. You've told us a little about why antagonism between... Anthony and Zahi, what about Graham Hancock and Robert Buval? Why the problem there? As I've said on the air before, there was a time it is said that Zahi suggested that when Graham and uh, Robert show up at Giza again, should they desire to do so, he would um, have them beheaded, thrown in a pit, and uh, would... um, uh, uh, defecate upon the... Uh,
1: I'd love to know the source of that story. I really would. I can't believe that Zahi said it, but maybe he did. Well,
0: I'm not so sure. I saw both <laughs> sides of Dr. Hawass, and yeah. I can imagine that a bad moment. so well,
1: I got no comment. I can tell you this. I have not been privy to any of the goings-on between Hancock and Baval and Zahi, except that I do know that Hancock and Baval and John West have been pushing um, for... an opening of all the secrets of egypt and they have been suggesting that it is not up to the egyptians to legislate this that it belongs to the world and they sell a lot of books and i think what's happened is that they have uh they have just gotten into some sort of a personality conflict with the guy who's the head of the plateau which is a dumb thing to do because i've never had this sort of a problem i'm as commercial as they are and and i can tell you, Art, and you know, and you—you've been over there. He has not denied me access to anything. If you would wanted to go up in those chambers above the king's chamber, I know you, you could have gone.
0: I know. I looked at a little hole and I said, "No way." <laughs> exactly. But I, look, I had one day, one miserable day, and um, <laughs> it not enough time. But he no. did give me—he signed permission. He said, "You can go anywhere you want to go." I've That's got right. to—I've got to say this though, Boris.
4: Yeah.
0: Um, other than the tip you gave me about the well and the causeway and all the rest. Yes. I could have walked around there for days and not gone to a place that was not readily apparent, if you follow me. Yes. So uh, when Dr. Hawass says you have blanket permission to go anywhere you want, if you don't know where to go, let's assume that for a second that Dr. Hawass has made discoveries that he has not told you nor me nor the world about. And by the way, I do assume that. I'm sure. Uh, we wouldn't find them if he didn't want us to.
1: I'm sure.
4: Isn't that a fair comment?
1: Absolutely. And that's why he's the director of the plateau. And, I mean, he's responsible for the plateau. He's responsible to his government. And I think we have to honor that and and work with him, you know, and not try and bring the weight of world press down to bear against him and try and bulldoze him and blackmail him and bully him into into doing things that he's not prepared to do. Mm Mm-hmm. That's why I've been I've been desperate to stay in the middle of this thing and not on one side or another because I think you have to acknowledge that it's Egypt and I think you have to acknowledge that there are a lot of very sensitive social and political and economical problems over there. Mm-hmm. And you got and you got to be you got to be aware of those things and you got to respect those things and then they let you go where you want.
0: So, the diplomatic Boris Saeed will go to uh uh go to the uh, the director there.
1: I am going to go... Uh, an Egyptian attorney friend of mine who claims to know all the parties involved, including Saki, is going to arrange a series of interviews for me at which I am going to present a case for the opening of the tunnel at the bottom of the well and the exploration of that tunnel. Now, if I'm successful, then I'm going to return with a film crew when the Egyptians say they're ready to start digging. Right. And as I've said publicly, I'm going to bring... a a group of 20 witnesses with me. We're going to pick some names out of the hat of people that wind up buying our tape and uh, the sort of a, a reward to them. And we're going to take a group of people over as part of our crew and to to dispel once and for all this notion of, of, of secrecy and, you know, the Dead Sea Scrolls and keeping this from mankind. We're going to film this. All right. Let's,
0: let's do a couple of what ifs. Let's say the tunnel is there. Yes. All right. But let's say that You begin moving down that tunnel, and at some point, you're blocked. Yes, or it's underwater. Whatever. You You can't go any further. Right. Then what?
1: Then I'm going to go to them, and I'm going to say, okay, guys, look, here's a diagram. And if you take this tunnel and you move down it for 75 feet, and you come to a blockage, and this dotted line represents the presumed extension of the tunnel, since it's been straight all the way, it's silly to." presume that it suddenly turns to the right or to the left, and gosh, look, it comes out right at the tail of the Sphinx, and it's only 15 or 18 feet down. Can we please drill with a high-speed bit? Can we please, under your supervision, carefully, slowly drill at least down into the tunnel where it goes under the tail of the Sphinx? At that point, the same thing would be true. We put down our spy camera, our two-inch diameter uh, camera, and if (laughs) the passage is still blocked, Then of course then there's the third what if. Look, our radar showed it's there. Is there some way that we can persuade you to drill a hole at an angle under the front paws of the stinks? Nobody's yet asked them if we could tunnel in at let's say a a 40 degree angle from 200 feet away, which was presumably then not disturb the paws at all. I mean there are lots of, of possibilities if we can, if we can prove to them something which they don't believe at the moment. If we can prove to them that our radar has, in fact, discovered a tunnel, it doesn't matter whether if the tunnel leads to the Sphinx Chamber, hallelujah, we've succeeded. If not, at least we've proved that the radar study is valid. And then we can go back to trying to persuade them to open a hole directly to the room. That's what I hope is going to happen.
4: Do you think that Zahi
0: Was uh, and those above him really would allow the world to see simultaneously what is in there? Or do they want first crack at it? Now, if you were an Egyptian and you were Zahi Hawass, what would your answer be?
1: Well, if I were an Egyptian and I was Zahi Hawass, I would have started looking for that room in 1991 when, when America's foremost seismographer, Dr. Thomas Debecky, proved that the room was there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but sure he, he didn't. Well... We don't know that he has or he has. Oh, yes, that's a very good point. And, and there may be nothing there. I mean, look, our, this is what the radar says. All we're asking is the chance to dig and have a look. Do I think that they're they're going to keep it to themselves? Honestly, no. I think that they're going to be so proud of it. I think there's a, a certainly a question that they'll allow us to open it on worldwide video. I think they may want to see what's in there first. But... I think that they've been very proud about everything they've ever excavated. And Zahi firmly believes that if there's anything in that tunnel, he thinks it's an 18th dynasty tomb. He told me so.
4: You know, they are presently
0: trying to divert tourists from uh, Giza. Uh, They've made some new discoveries of um, tombs uh, in the last couple of weeks, as a matter of fact. And I saw some stories indicating that uh, the crush of tourists at uh, Giza is so heavily heavy right now, they're trying to come up
4: with antiquities to draw tourists away from Giza.
1: That's right. That's right. And that's certainly going to be one of the problems. But do I believe they're going to sit on on a discovery of this magnitude? Absolutely not. And the main reason for it is that they're starting to feel a surge of tourist pressure from what we should now seriously... Call the New Age, which is one of the most enormous buying groups in the in the country, oh, yes. and uh, and and far outspends and outnumbers the the people who know the difference between the sixteenth and the fifteenth dynasties. <laughs> people are going over there now because because of the astounding feelings that they're getting over there because of exactly what happened to you in the pyramids All right, you That's right. All right,
0: you tried one time before. And fail uh, to be able to uh, explore this. You were yes. unable to go any further. Yes. Has it occurred to you, Boris, that the prediction of Edgar Casey may be the reason you failed? In other words, I, I know I'm getting a little out there right now, but it just simply wasn't yet the right time.
1: Well, that's certainly possible. I, I would, I would certainly, uh, I, I certainly believe that that's possible, probable in fact. But that doesn't mean. That you quit trying. I mean, I, I you know I think if you sort of sit on your hands and you wait till 1998, and say okay, this is the time now we start. That's uh, I I think I think that if we are allowed to go in there in 1998, it's because we spent all of 1997 hammering on the door.
0: Mm-hmm. But maybe that was all meant to be that, that way. Maybe. 1998 is not very far away.
1: Maybe. But I mean, let's let's. What I'm looking at is this. I, I've heard, for example. When my original film, this one that is now in dispute that, that we can't show, the, the Dr. Shore film, when that was shown to some Egyptian officials, they criticized it as being, quote, uh, uh, publicity for the Shore Foundation, unquote. Uh, that's why I want to go back to them and suggest a film which would be publicity for, for Egypt, quote, unquote. And I, I really believe that under the right circumstances, they will allow us to film the opening of that tunnel.
0: All right. Uh, Boris Saeed, stand by. He's our guest. We will get to the phone shortly. And I'm going to tell you about Boris Saeed's tape when I come back from the uh, break. This is a tape you're going to definitely want to get your hands on. Believe me, I've seen it. And it is absolutely top-notch. This is Coast to Coast AM.
3: With Art Bell on Coast to Coast AM from outside the US. First, dial your access numbers to the USA, then dial 1 800 893 0903. This is Coast to Coast AM from the Kingdom of Nye with Art Bell. It is, and we are back. Ora Said is my guest. We're talking about the
0: pyramids, the Sphinx, and the great mystery. And I'll tell you, what's coming up in May is something you shouldn't miss. You barely still have time. Uh, Let me quickly tell you about this and get it out of the way. I have been invited to what may be Mission Impossible. I don't know, but it sure as hell is going to be interesting. There is a cruise coming up May 10th through the 17th. It's going to Alaska. It is going to some of the most northern sacred sites that you have ever laid eyes on. It's almost beyond description. The um, the ice flows, the inside passage, uh, the north is very nearly indescribable. It's just, it's an amazing, amazing cruise to take. Now, I've already taken it so there wasn't a chance i would accept this i mean it's going to Juno, skagway ketchikan then back to vancouver uh you'll you'll see it all you will see uh all the wonderful things that i got to see the glacier carved fjords all the rest of it it's just it's beyond description it's got to be one of the world's wonders uh, no question about it but what got me to go was uh my part of the invitation is for the last 3 days of the cruise the inside passage coming back from Alaska to Vancouver, and during that period of time, on board will be Dr. Zahi Awas, Daniel Brickley, Graham Hancock, Robert Baval, Dr. Ed Krupp, maybe Boris Said, who has been invited, I just found out, and I'll be there too, trying to moderate all of this. It will be a great debate over one of the greatest mysteries in the world by the people who are probably most deeply involved. In these mysteries, I'm going to be there and I am inviting you to be there. It's about sold out, so I'm telling you right now. Matter of fact, you can try calling right now the numbers I'm going to give you. The uh, financial end of this is incredible. I mean, absolutely incredible. Really, really a good deal. And so it's kind of like a once in a lifetime deal and I couldn't turn it down. The nationwide number to call. All except for California. California has a separate number. Californians are so different. The rest of the country, though, can call 1-800-888-5509. That's 1-800-888-5509. And, you know, if you can't get through now, try between 9 in the morning and 6 at night. This can be one of the last times you're going to hear me do this. Talk about this because it's about booked up. Don't wait. I'm telling you. If you're in California, you call area code 310-568-0138. Let me give you the California number again. 310-568-0138. Or again, uh, for the rest of the whole country, one
4: 800 888-5509.
0: 888-5509. And I look forward to that with some muscles that tense involuntarily.
4: <laughs>
0: it's really going to be something. Really going to be something. All right. Uh, we'll get back to Boris in a moment. Uh, Just mark. All right. Uh, Boris Saeed, the last time he was on the air with me, talked about a tape that he was in the middle of producing. Boris is, of course, now no longer associated in any way with the Shore Expedition, University of Florida, um, and the Shore Expedition. And so what he is doing, what Boris wants to do is go back to Egypt and open the secret chamber below the Sphinx by accessing the tunnel he believes is there. They've already done all the radar work to determine that this uh, chamber that Edgar Cayce said would be there is in fact there, and there may even be more. Now, the idea of producing the videotape was to finance the trip back to Egypt, and many, many of you, based on faith, ordered that tape, um, oh, I don't know, it was a couple of weeks ago, I guess, uh, before it was even done. The tape is now complete, and ready to ship. And Boris Said sent
4: me a copy
0: of this videotape, and I must tell you, it is a class triple A production. I mean, it really, really is a good videotape, and it will give you an, a, a very precise idea of the importance of man uh, to mankind, of what he is proposing to do. Fortunately, now tonight, he's going to be able to offer that videotape to you. Uh, for immediate shipment, uh, I think. Uh, Boris, is that correct?
1: Absolutely, and I'd like to say that the first 300 have already gone out. Uh, they went out um, at the end of last week, so people should be getting them along about now. Okay. But we now have a fulfillment house, uh, which is sending these things out, because the demand has been enormous.
0: Well, now that you've actually got it for shipment, I think people are much more likely to call an order. uh what is what is the number?
1: Okay, the number is 800 four three one four three eight. 243 1438
0: That's 800-243-1438. You want to tell them about the tape?
1: Yes, and uh, for those of you who are outside of the United States or in the Seattle area, because it's coming out of Seattle, Washington, the number oh. to call is 425-455-1053.
0: Wait a minute, 425
4: 425-
1: It's 455-1053. And the 800 number again is 800-243-1438. All right. Well, tell us about the tape. Okay. And, by the way, you can buy that with a credit card or any which way you like. Um, Incidentally, it's $25, and we're calling that a donation. We're pledging that all the money for the tape is going to go towards this work that we're doing. It's $25 plus $3 shipping and handling. And an added plus is that we're going to select 20 names among the people who have bought the tape, and we're going to take them to Egypt with us. Um, 18 people are going to go for about 50% off for the same rate that the film crew goes, and two people are going to go free. Two people are going to get their tickets and uh, hotel rooms, and that's going to be done by lot. Okay. So that's the commercial. The tape itself is a compilation of what I've done. It's a 40-minute tape, uh, thereabouts, that, uh takes it introduces you to the secret chamber under the paws of the sphinx with a seven-minute excerpt from the mystery of the sphinx it introduces you to tom danley's work it shows his levitation work and it shows um it shows tom de becky
0: charlton heston is in it
1: that's right charlton heston narrates it and it shows tom it's a film it's a uh film which won an emmy in 1993 and, uh, it documents the work of the John West expedition, which, for which Debeki found the, uh, the, te- the, uh, the secret chamber. I mean, it shows, actually shows the radar work, the, uh, seismic work being done and shows the chamber, uh, shows a diagram of the chamber. Uh, it also then, uh, it features an interview with, with my friend Zahi Hawaz, who promises to open the tunnel one day under the Sphinx. There's, yes. uh, there's some good shots of, of Zahi, and it includes a, a promotional tape that we made in 1995, which was, which outlined the work that we proposed to do on the Sphinx. And there's some very beautiful footage there by Garrett Griffin. Uh, and then it, it, at that point, of course, we ran afoul of the Shore Foundation. And so from then on, there is a series of photographs, uh, like a photographic montage of some of the work that Danley did, because a lot of that footage is in dispute at the moment legally. Right, right. And it culminates with a with some high eight, uh, footage that was shot by an Egyptian cameraman friend of mine who went down into the well that you were in, Art. Mm. That shows the uh, shows the sarcophagus lid, and it shows the well, and shows that entire chamber. And it tells a little bit of the story of what happened with with the Shore Foundation and with 20th Century Fox and uh, and uh, Mr. Murdoch, and why we never finally came to the end of the road with them and and didn't resolve itself into a film.
0: It, at one point, showed Zahi Owas down uh, near that, uh, or in the entrance, uh, headed down, saying uh, Indiana Jones would not even dream to be here. That's right. That's right. And it does suggest that he is prepared, under the right circumstances, to open it.
1: I'm convinced that he is. I, I, I don't think he's ever been... Been, uh, been unwilling to. I just think the problem has been that certainly my efforts have been always been hampered or uh, certainly controlled. I don't want to use the word hampered, but they've been controlled by the expedition that's been funding the film. Right. In the first instance, John West and, and, and his group, and in the second instance, Dr. Shore and his group. Uh, what I'm hoping is that if we get enough response, and there are God knows, 15 million people out there, if enough people uh, get involved with us. I'm going to be able to go over there in December with thousands of letters of support from people, and they're, they're flooding my website, um, and, uh, and go to them and say, look, you know, the people of America want to know, and this is your story, this is your country, this is your tunnel, please open it, and we'll film it, and we'll make the production out of Egypt, and it'll be an Egyptian production as well. And in that way, they can't say they're being exploited, and in that way, uh, they'll have total control of what happens. And in that way, I believe that they'll be very expansive about, about telling us about it. I mean, that's just my, my opinion now. I may be wrong. If I'm wrong, I hope you guys are entertained with your, with your 40-minute tape. And I'm sorry about the trip to Egypt, but I believe it's going to work.
0: Well, all right. I would like to ask you your opinion now. This is just your opinion. When we get into that chamber,
4: what do you think we're going to find?
1: Well, I think that we're going to find a lot of rubble. I think, and that's from DeBecky's find, not mine. I think we're going to find hieroglyphs, which will be probably very ambiguous and will be subject to a lot of interpretation. I think that if we get in there and there's enough space in there to work and we set up the radar and the seismic stuff again, we're going to find levels below that chamber. Mm-hmm. A very great psychic, Zeb Coleman, an Israeli psychic, has suggested that, that he has seen steps leading down and a jade pillar and all that sort of wonderful stuff. Um, I well, think we're going to find levels below it.
0: Yeah. What I'm getting at here is, do you think it's possible that we will find the Hall of
4: Records?
1: Yes, I think it's possible. Uh, I Again, I think that the Hall of Records, uh, I, if, you, if you think, I know you've had Michio Kaku as a guest. He def- the string theory of his string theory of physics described the universe in a one inch theory so the hall of records could be one tablet tablet saying it, it could this be. is the answer
0: it could be now, so now my question is if the answer is not uh, a foretelling of the coming of christ something that validates christianity or uh, buddhism mm-hmm. or any other, um, uh, perhaps Islam, um, whatever, if it validates none of the religions and suggests to us that our ancestors, those who came before
4: us, were uh, not of this world, and that's entirely possible for us.
1: Uh, Absolutely.
0: It would upset everything that we know and everything that we are and there are people uh who would kill to prevent that information from becoming public
1: well, that's absolutely true. Art. you look at it in a different way if If we don't pretty quickly upset everything that we are and everything that we're doing, we're going to kill ourselves i mean we're we're headed in the wrong direction ecologically, sociologically, economically. We're headed for disaster. I mean, I'm not an alarmist, but I think it's about time that somebody breathed some fresh air into this thing and said, "Hey, guys." You took a wrong turn someplace. You should have turned left back there at that church.
4: Yeah.
1: And, and, and I, I, for one, I believe that this, this, this race that we're engaged in now to find this ancient wisdom while well, we still can. I, I did an interview with a Zulu high priest who suggested that, man, that the Zulus believe men have 12 senses and that until we're fully conversant with seven of them, we're not going to survive as a species. Now it's very interesting when you think how, just in our lifetime, the sixth sense, the psychic awareness, has become a, an everyday thing virtually. Uh And you talk to Michio Kaku, who, who lives on ten planes. I mean, to him, it's a reality. I know. So I, I think I, I don't think it's going to be so terrible to upset some of our paradigms. I mean, what if we upset the paradigm of war or bigotry or? Or, or, hatred, I mean, God forbid <laughs> we could even wind up with a peaceful world,
0: going back to something uh, a little more solid for a second about the pyramids. Here's a fact. uh maybe you can answer it. There are only a handful of cranes and crews in the world right now that are able to lift two hundred ton blocks, right. and that is their maximum lifting capacity and we'll to effect, and let me go on, yeah. and to effect a move of such blocks to the site of the pyramid in question requires three separate setups, each taking months to create now. When you finally get these stones on the site, what the hell do you do
1: then? Right. How do you place them? How do you remove whatever it is you lifted them with? How do you you get whatever it is out from underneath the stone?
0: All right. These are the reasons or at least some of the reasons, uh, Boris, that I suspect there is a hall of records and there is an answer that we may not be so comfortable with getting uh, when we get in there. I agree. And so what you are proposing um, is extremely exciting, extremely interesting, and you're probably right, we need to know, but I'm not sure what effect it will have on the world.
1: Well, let me take your supposition a step further, Art. I mean, as long as we're going to get out there, let's get out there. It's the hour for that. If, if the answer is that some sort of an external civilization from another planet yes. came and made all this, yes. okay, maybe instead of getting down on our knees and praying to them with our hands clasped, or instead of facing Mecca or whatever one does and whatever religion one prays, Maybe it's 99.5 megacycles or something, and we can just send them a simple help uh, in a language which we discover down there, and they come and move the rocks for us.
0: Well, you remember they talked about, uh, in 2001, uh, the monolith. As a matter of fact, it's something that uh, Professor Kaku talks about quite per- a
1: bit. Perfect example.
0: Maybe the monolith, or the equivalent of the monolith, is not on the moon, or Mars, or one of uh, uh, um uh, Jupiter's moons, uh but is instead
4: right here on Earth?
1: Yep. On the Giza Plateau.
4: Or... On the Giza Plateau. Absolutely.
1: Why not? Why not? I think it's absolutely possible. Once we accept the fact that it's possible, there's stuff we don't know. We live in this terror that we're going to discover something new. <laughs> you know, you've got to knock down the paradigm before you can begin to let the light in. The world is flat. The world is flat. I mean, I'm just reading a story about Magellan now. And, and I mean, when Magellan set off, three-quarters of the thinking world thought the world was flat. Mm-hmm. And when ships were lost at sea, they'd sailed off the edge. Yeah. And that's not so long ago as mankind goes. That's like four, or 500 years ago.
0: I, I couldn't agree with you more, but I... Really, really, really wonder, Boris, about what would happen to all of our religious and scientific institutions. Uh, there would be a period, no doubt, of extreme chaos uh, if such information were revealed. Boris, hold on. We're uh, at the uh, top of another hour, and you can relax for a while. Boris Said is my guest, and when we come back, we will go to the phones. This is Coast to Coast AM.
8: Mischie for Buck Hill.
3: Bell is taking your calls in the Kingdom of Nye from east of the Rockies at 1-800-825-5033. West of the Rockies, including Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, and New Mexico at 1-800-618-8255. First time callers may reach out at area code 702-727-1222. That's 702-727-1222. This is Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. Now, here again is Art. Here again I am. And in
0: a moment, I think I've got something for Boris to chew over. A really chew over. I certainly would, and I think you would, too, after you hear what I'm about to read. And I'm going to read some of what Edgar Casey said about the opening of the Hall of Records. Um, back now to Boris A. Boris? Sure. You know, even if you can't film, I really think you ought to come along to Alaska. You'd, you'd be good to have there because, you know, if if real hell broke out, I could turn to you and I'd say, well, Boris, who do you agree with, Dr. Hawass or or Graham Hancock?
1: <laughs> what a great reason for not going. <laughs> <laughs> well, All right, look, here's, here's the thing. And this is, this talks right, I believe, to the heart of the matter and to what I want to do as a film documentarian. Okay, you all, we're all sitting there on the boat. Yeah. So Rawl says, "Look, I've got this computer study that says that in 10,500 B.C. these air shafts in the king's chamber lined up with the planets of Orion. Right. This is where the Egyptian mythology says the home of the gods in the afterlife was going to be, which he
0: will, which is what he is going to say. Yes.
1: Okay, terrific. And Grand Hancock will somehow link it all to Quetzalcoatl and the pyramids of Mexico, okay. or whatever. All right." And then they will both say that there's a chamber under the back of the Sphinx, and it's, it's nerd in the heavens, and so forth, and so on. And that's fabulous. I love the books. I, I've got both books sitting in front of me. Right. I read their stuff. okay? Yep. And Zahiawaz is going to say, that's a lot of nonsense. That we've dug up, you know, signs of a bakery and a brewery, and we know how these pyramids were built, and the whole thing was done by Egyptians. And, and we've built. got,
0: as a matter of fact, uh, he's got uh, further proof uh, in the burial ground of those who built it. You know I was there. Right
1: twenty thousand workers. That's let's say that conservatively that's that's fifteen thousand loaves of bread a day. Yeah,
0: but you know, even Zahi will admit workers or not, he doesn't have a clue uh, how they were act- how the stones were actually moved. He showed how they could be split.
1: Okay. My my problem is this with all of this that when there is an explanation other than slaves and, and, and rolling logs and what have you. Yeah, yeah. It comes from a source like, and, and I respect the sources, Jim Hurtot, Greg Braden, people who are terribly educated, and, and they have these amazing theories. And the problem is, that they, I can't understand them. I don't understand about talking about seven seven powers of, of, of nine pyramidal grids and all of that sort of stuff. I got trouble enough talking to, to Tom, and, and he explained it to me carefully. I think that the extraordinary thing is that if these people were this bright and this knowledge was so pervasive and all over the world, which is what we're beginning to see, and which is what the aborigines have been talking about and the Hopi and the and the uh, and the Bushmen, then I think that approaching it from a from from a standpoint of color or music or or standing stone something that everybody can understand, then it's going to have meaning. That's what I want to do. That's what I'm looking for is a link that people can understand.
0: All right. I'm going to give you something to think about. I want an answer to this. The following is uh from Edgar Cayce's supplement number 57, prehistory Egypt, July First, 1932, reading, A15 excerpt. With the storehouse or record house where the records are still to be uncovered, there is a chamber or passage from the right fore paw to this entrance of the record chamber or record tomb. This now listen carefully; this may not be entered without an understanding for those that were left as guards may not be passed until after a period of their regeneration in the mount or the fifth foot race begins now. I don't fully understand that, but what I do get from that is
4: that there are certain things,
0: well, I've seen maybe too many uh, uh, too many movies about this kind of thing, but I can sort of picture uh, Boris Saeed making his way along this tunnel and giant shards coming down and running him through, or blocks coming down on his head and crushing him uh, like a cartoon character. In other words, uh, if you believe what Casey said, then there are certain things that will get you.
1: Well, there are certain things that are going to get you anyway. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, that's one way of looking at it.
1: I mean, look, I am, I, I'm going to make my film, okay? And the chances of anybody allowing me to be the first person down the tunnel are slim to none. There's going to be an, a, a zealot, an, an, an anthropologist, an archaeologist, somebody going down that tunnel. It's
0: going to be Zahi, you know it
1: is. Well,
0: I, I so, hope so. <laughs> so it would certainly be very dramatic uh, seeing a gigantic stone come down on Zahi, uh, squishing him into a, a cartoon character.
1: Well, I, I mean, I think, obviously, if we're going to go exploring a subterranean uh, tunnel, we're going to have to be very, very careful. One. Mm. Two, I think there's every chance in the world that it's flooded which may present a different set of problems. And not
0: not insurmountable, right, not
1: insurmountable at all, because at the time nobody envisioned scuba gear and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, the other thing is that I believe that if we can prove that there is a tunnel, then I think that with the advanced kind of drilling equipment that exists, we may get permission to drill right into the chamber. Don't forget that what Zahi used as an objection to me was that in 1978, I believe it was 78, Stanford University came and drilled three or four holes. They were drilled to a depth of three meters and turned up nothing. Right. They were very noisy drills. They were high-vibration drills. They were 20 years old. There is now very sophisticated equipment.
4: Boris,
0: what do you think that Casey meant by, this may not be entered without an
4: understanding?
1: Well, um... I tell you, my interpretation is that you probably had to understand some sort of a of a complicated system of entry that may have been numerical, that may have been vibrational. It, uh, there, there, there is probably a, a great complexity to getting in there. Uh, I don't think it's just a tunnel in the ground. I think if these people were were as advanced as they're supposed to be. They would have done something more complicated than a dog could do.
0: When, they, when he said, for those that were left as guards may not, and it's underlined, may not be passed until after a period of their regeneration in the mount or the fifth foot race begins. Now, I don't fully understand that, but the clear implication here is that there are things that would stop you from entering until the time was correct.
1: Right. Or, I mean, if the mount, if we take the mount to be the pyramid, then perhaps what Danley's talking about is valid. Uh, there are, there are all sorts of places on the plateau that I've taken Tom, one of which I think I told you a little about where those four pillars are behind the Ken tomb. Yes. Uh, where there's no vibration at all. It's like a Faraday cage. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think that place has great significance and nobody's studied it yet. So, so what do I think it means? I think, I, I, I don't. <sighs> Gosh, I don't know. I don't see huge, giant boulders and stakes and, you know, poison gases and stuff. I don't see anything sinister in it. I think it's just that it's going to be difficult to figure it out. And I think that just in order to figure it out, we're going to have to find our clues in places like the Great Pyramid. That I believe.
0: All right. Let us begin to, uh, to take some calls. I'd like to open the lines. And, uh, since you know so much about the pyramids, the Sphinx, and, uh, you'd be a good one qualified to answer uh, listeners' questions. First time caller line, you're on the air with Boris Saeed. Hello. Uh,
9: Hi, Art. This is David from Phoenix. Yes, David. Um, I just wanted to uh, let the listeners know that besides the video, there's this interesting article um, in in the uh, October, November 96 issue of Nexus. Um, It's a magazine out of Australia. Right. Um, It talks about the the pyramid, and um, among other things, it talks about, uh, Casey's prediction that this would be discovered and opened between 1996 and 1998. Right. and talks about the Atlantean Hall of Records and uh, he also uh, prophesied or he also uh, thought that the pyramid or the Sphinx was actually built around 10,500 BC and uh, the article mentions that um, the pattern of erosion on the Sphinx indicates that uh, many Researchers think that it was built around 12,000 years ago. All right.
4: Well, what the,
0: what the rock seem to show, and this is one of the things that is clearly, very clearly shown in Boris's uh, videotape, and I, I would like to talk to you about it, Boris, is it shows uh, the erosion of the rock and suggests that erosion by sand would have left a pitted surface and that the erosion that, in fact, is present there uh, could only, repeat, only have been produced, and they show
4: it in great detail,
0: by water.
4: Is that correct? Where'd you go, Boris? Oh, we lost Boris.
0: Uh, We lost Boris. We uh, lost the connection somehow. That does occasionally occur. Was I asking uh, uh, some sort of... uh, A question that I should not have been asking? (laughs) I don't know. I'm going to take a a moment break, and we're going to get hold of uh, Boris again uh, so that he can answer that question. Because on his tape, uh, beyond any shadow of a doubt, I think there is visual evidence, uh, specific visual evidence, that, um, that it was water erosion. Now, you're talking about a desert. Or at least what today is a desert. So we'll get Boris back on the line and have an answer. Are you having arthritis? pain, all right, well, I don't know how it happens with a system that locks calls in the way mine does, but it happens. And we lost connection, but I've got Boris back. And Boris, what I was saying is that in your videotape, uh, it seems clear beyond any shadow of a doubt that the erosion on the rock is uh, not been caused by sand and wind and pitting but that it is smooth, and this erosion could only have been produced by water.
1: I agree. I mean, that's Robert Schock's thesis, and I think he's, I mean, it's self-evident.
0: It is self-evident. I mean, the tape, uh, your videotape, I think, is incredibly clear on that point. Now, if, if we accept that as fact, what does that mean?
1: Well, it means that the Sphinx was damaged by a downflow of water. Not, not a rising of the river, which would have eroded the bottom of the cliff first, but a downpouring water coming off the plateau. And when we consulted Professor John Kutzbach out at University of Wisconsin, who's a uh, 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 expert in the study of ancient weather patterns, he says they have lots of data and fossils and God knows what else to prove that there were lakes on the on, in North Africa and on the Giza plateau. Uh, 9, 10, 12, years ago. But
0: the kind of erosion they show there uh, would have had to have occurred over a very long period of time. It wouldn't have been one instant flood that would have worn rocks away that way. It That's would have right. Been, it would have been a very extensive period of, of rain or,
1: but I mean, or a couple, water. Of, a couple of thousand years of, of rainy weather could have Absolutely. presumably
0: done it. Absolutely. Now, there has not been that in the period of time that conventional wisdom says the... Sphinx was constructed in the pyramids.
1: Nor were there any people uh, around capable of constructing the Sphinx. That's the other thing. See, I mean, I mean, if, if you can't have it both ways, if the if the Sphinx was carved in 2550 B.C., then how come? Uh, as we said in our in our in our uh, in our video, according to the rate at which the Sphinx eroded, it could have eroded. It, it would have been completely gone by now. If, if, if you follow the conventional, the conventional reasoning. And, and when, when some of the Egyptologists who have said that the Sphinx was carved from such a poor quality of limestone that they had to patch it as they were carving it, Dr. Shock to that, as I recall in our video, said, how come they built temples with these rocks? And yep. the temples are still standing here.
0: Exactly right. All right. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Boris Saeed. Good morning. Greetings. Greetings. Where are you?
10: Cincinnati.
4: All right, Cincinnati.
10: If the whole... uh I want to say this first, Boris, if the whole system were rehabbed and set up as it once was, then I think the idea of guards and uh vibrations would p- come into play. And I'll tell you what I mean, okay? I came out of a meditative state and I was in the sarcophagus and it became clear to me that there were three things going on. One was soul travel while the body was safely lying there. The second was meetings with teachers who are no not in bodies. And the third was a testing system that was rather severe. So the idea of guards, I think, has to do with the protection of, of the knowledge and the admission of people who are at the right frequency, I would say.
0: Okay. All right. Well, that is kind of the New Age uh, take on things there. And I don't rule it out, Boris, uh, because of, of what I... Because of what I felt when I was there.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think, I think definitely that that it has to do with 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 vibrations and awareness and everything else. I, I'm sure, but but I don't know how we can quantify that.
0: I know it, it sounds to the audience who has never experienced it kind of touchy-feely, but believe me, folks, once you've been there you know something serious is going on really serious is going on well
1: that's that's the thing i mean uh, people have had out of out of body experiences for real in those pyramids and they're documented i had one a lot of people i know have had them and there are things that happen to you in egypt physically which are unavoidable i don't care how skeptical you are so i wouldn't rule that out at all and i think that the lady's quite right that it has to do with 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 possibly changing the vibrations of our own body mind complex to the point where where we become aware of some of these some of these directions instructions passages or whatever.
4: Boris, could it be true that
0: what Casey meant and what is true is what that lady said that uh, those who would go down to that chamber and go through that tunnel,
4: uh,
0: the ones who would make it would be the ones who had reached a larger understanding imparted. Uh, within the pyramid, within the king's chamber, within perhaps even the sarcophagus.
1: Very possible. Very possible. Why not? Of course. I would, I would, I would believe that. I, I mean, it's, anything that's complicated to do, you have to learn how to do. I mean, I drive a bobsled. I don't learn to do that in 20 minutes, you know. You have to build yourself up to a certain, uh, awareness of a certain series of tests and things that you have to be able to overcome that not everybody can do. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's a huge big sign that says, enter here, welcome to Atlanta. I think it's, I think it's complicated to, to, to find the answer to this.
0: Well, I agree with that. Uh, let's see if we can get one in quickly. West of the Rockies, you're on the air with Boris uh, Oh, Wait a minute. Now I press the button. West of the Rockies, you're on the air with Boris Said. Hello.
8: Good evening, gentlemen. Good evening. Where this, are you? This is Dave from Vancouver. Hi, Hi, Dave. Hi. Art, were you aware that there is an album? It's available as a 2 CD. Uh, a compilation and it's called Inside the Great Pyramid. It's recorded in the Pyramid of Giza and in other structures on the on the plateau there.
0: No, I wasn't aware. Yeah, uh, excuse me? That's no I was not aware, I said it's very interesting, but I don't know that it produces all of the resonances uh-huh. that uh, have been recently discovered. And that's of course what we've been talking about.
8: Probably not. I've not been there myself yet, but when I put, on, when I put it on, uh, the vibrations of it, I don't know, makes the top of your head tingle. <laughs> is, that,
1: is that the Paul Horn album? Yes, it's Paul
8: Horn. That's All right. Fabulous. All right.
0: Uh, hold on. We will uh, return in a moment. If you have questions for Boris Saeed, come now. I'm Art Bell, and this is Coast to Coast AM.
6: i quiet conversation. She's coming in twelve heavy flights. The moon that brings reflect the colours that guide us salvation.
3: You're hearing Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. International callers may reach Art in the Kingdom of Nye by first dialing their access number to the USA. Then 1 800 893 0903. 1 800 893 0903. And you may fax Art by calling area code 702 727 8499. That's area code 702 702- Seven two seven eight four nine nine. Please limit faxes to one or two pages. Now again, here is Art Bell. We are discussing one of
0: the great mysteries of the world. <laughs> As a matter of fact, in North Africa, actually. Egypt, the Sphinx, the pyramids, and what may lie beneath. When it comes to information, on ETs. If you're like me, you can't get enough, and I'm telling you, you've got to see this spine-chilling video, Area 51, the alien interview. Thousands of you already have. Uh, A few of you, or I guess many actually, have seen just a little tiny bit of it on Extra or maybe Strange Universe. But here, you've got the entire ball of wax, a 65-minute documentary, containing the most convincing color footage of government agents interviewing what certainly appears to be a space alien inside the infamous base at Area 51, smuggled out by a guy named Victor, who spent a couple of very frightening hours with me on the air. He's now actually in fear of his life for his part in spiriting this footage out. Now of course some would say it's not real but you can judge for yourself without much pain the tape is 19.95 plus shipping and handling you watch it over and over you let me know what you think two weeks for delivery and the number to call right now is 1-800-510-3420 that's 1-800-510 3420, back now to Boris Saeed. Boris? Yes,
4: sir.
0: All right. A lot of people want to talk to you, so we need to lay heavily into the phones. Okay. Uh, But you do have a videotape, which not only is incredible, but is going to finance your way and maybe others back to Egypt to do all that you uh, want done. I hope so. Uh, And the tape now is finished. It is a class AAA product. I guarantee that to my listeners. Uh, How do they get it?
1: They get it by calling 1-800-243-1438. That's 1-800-243-1438. Or if they're in Seattle, in the Seattle area, 425-455-1053. And that holds for anyone outside the United States and Canada, they have to call 425-455-1053. It's tape's available for a $25 donation and $3 shipping and handling. Um, they can uh, accept tax orders and all of that, but that's the easiest way to do it. Give them a credit card or um, uh, give them your address, and they'll send it out to you right away. All right. Incidentally, Art, I, I can mention just once again, we're going to run a, a drawing. We're going to draw 20 names out of a hat, and uh, if we go over there to open this tunnel in the spring, which I hope we're going to be able to do, we're going to take 20 people with us. 18 are going to go at crew rate, which will be about 50% off on, on hotels and, um, airplane fares. And two people will go absolutely free. Free. That's cool. So that will be, those will be 20 people who will be an official, official members of our team. We're going to give them windbreakers and t-shirts and they're going to be witness to this. Well,
0: at sure. least they will have seen the tape so they'll know what they're doing.
1: That's right. And when they come back here, they, 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 I hope will be living proof that there are no secrets over there. And I, I don't believe there are going to be. I know that you may disagree with me. A lot of people disagree with me. But I think the Egyptian government, when they're given uh, a proper way of presenting this news, they're going to, to uh, be thrilled and proud to do that. All right. Uh,
0: Wild Card Line, you're on the air with Boris Saeed. Good morning. Yeah, good morning, Art. Good morning, uh, Boris. Where are you, where are you sir? Um, I'm Dan, and I'm in Virginia. Okay. Okay. Uh, are you reading the part making reference to the mound? I think in Edgar Casey's uh, yes, sir, prediction. Yes, sir. and I I think what that might refer to is what is known as the Temple of the Mount. It might, and uh, which was the Temple of Solomon, and the Dome of the Rock, and that's known as the foundation stone uh, of the world. And I think uh, believe that the Ark of the Covenant supposedly was there, uh, you know, several hundred years ago and i think that ties in
11: with the uh, the pyramid in egypt
4: you know i uh,
0: it, it it you could be right i mean um or it could be the pyramid itself it's really hard to say but i'll say this uh, for us i would um i i i think that i would be frightened is this right the right word i'd be really 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 cautious And wary of making my way down toward that secret chamber, really wary.
1: Well, cautious is a better word than frightened. Yeah. You know that Sir Francis Chichester, the great round-the-world sailor, once said that the only thing worse than fear was being prevented from doing something that one really wanted to do by fear. And I think that I think that caution is the answer here. But uh, I think that uh, given the opportunity, I don't can't imagine anybody saying I'm not going down there. <laughs> <laughs>
4: um,
0: I, I don't know if I would agree with that. Uh, I, I, I'd have to think about that a little bit. First-time caller line, you're on the air with Boris Saeed. Hello.
9: Hello, Art and Boris. Hi, hi there.
12: Man. This is Eric from uh, Kalamazoo, Michigan. Hi there. And uh, hi, um, I was actually had a comment and a question about what you guys were talking about earlier on whether uh when you go down into the hall of records or the room down there, if um if that does contain um documents uh that, that are going to have a major impact on the world's religions, um something stating that uh you know we're from uh somewhere else other than Earth, um don't you think that that, that might uh uh lead to uh some kind of uh some simp- like uh information suppression or uh you know, that the, the world wouldn't, wouldn't really uh,
1: care about that kind of My
0: thing? My answer is yes. I think it would. I think it would be suppressed before you could say Zahi well, but
1: The other thing is it's harder to suppress information these days. You can take a, a camera down there the size of the palm of your hand and bring back broadcast-quality photographs and video. It, it's very difficult now. I mean, there's such an information network around the world that it's hard for me to imagine them being able to suppress this sort of thing.
4: Well, let me put it to
0: you this way, Boris. There is one possibility. And that is that before you arrive, before any cameras arrive, in fact it may already have a, happened that uh you you recall in your video there stood uh Zahi uh saying we will open this and he stood right in front of it. That's right. Now
4: Really possible.
0: How many nights does Zahi Awas go to sleep without thinking, you know, I've got a real good crew of guys here. Why don't I go down and open this thing and see what's there? Uh, see if I can make my way down to this, uh, uh, this secret chamber below the sinks before camera crews and Boris arrive.
1: Absolutely possible. No question about it.
0: Well, if something is found that profound, what makes you think it would still be there when you followed behind with cameras?
1: Well, because I think that the nature of the Giza plateau is that everybody seems to know what's going on there. And, you know, for every guy giving an order, there are nine guys digging with Galabeas, and those nine guys have got families and cousins, and, and, and the word seems to get out. And I just, uh, I just believe that if they get in there, that the word will get out. At least if they got in there. Now you may be right; they may suppress it, they may sit on the whole thing, and 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 we're not going to get in there. That's absolutely or we may get in there and it may be empty. Which is mm. why Tom Danley and I are doing what we're doing, mm. because we believe that there may be several ways to find this information.
0: Doctor DeBecky's radar study of the uh, of the chamber below the Sphinx. Uh, you said that it showed rubble
1: that's what he said. He said yeah, it looked, well,
0: My question was, uh, it was the radar really
1: definitive
0: enough to be an absolute uh, surety that it, it was
4: rubble?
1: No. Uh, Becky said that his interpretation was that the chamber, he said that it was definitely a different consistency of the rock, leading him to believe that it had been excavated, and he felt that perhaps the ceilings had collapsed or stuff like that. He felt that that he was getting the kind of reading he sometimes got from an incomplete landfill. That was his original statement in 1991.
4: Hmm.
1: Now, there is no clear way of knowing short of drilling a hole down there to find out what's really there. There is no valid reason not to drill that hole given the.
0: So then, so then the statement about rubble is at least in parts conjecture. Yes,
1: it is in part conjecture. Absolutely.
0: Now, the fact that there is a chamber there is not conjecture.
1: Not, according to Tom DeBeck. All right. He believes it's there. He believes his instruments prove it. And uh, again, you know, that they they, the the government position is that they drilled holes in 1978. But I asked Zahi a straight question uh, in Virginia Beach when he was speaking. And I said, how deep were the holes? And he said, three meters.
4: Right, that's correct,
0: yes.
1: And that's not deep enough.
0: Mm, well, Right. Uh, east of the Rockies, you're on the air with Boris Saeed.
4: Hello.
10: Hello. This is Karen in Houston. How are you, Art? Fine. All right. I've got a question for you, gentlemen, and, and a little bit of a statement intermingled in here. Sure. Okay. You answered part of it just now when you said that um, Dr. Hawass was there in Virginia Beach. What kind of um, credit does he give Edgar Casey for his comments and insight into the pyramids and the Sphinx? I mean, if he's a believer, more or less. Then he would understand, you know, that in the earlier Casey writings also, he said that the pyramid was a place of
1: initiation.
0: Yes. I I, I really think my answer is I don't think Zahi has a lot of respect for that, but I I can't speak for Boris Boris. Well,
1: he didn't, he certainly didn't mention the word Edgar Casey down there in his talk that I heard. He was talking about stuff they found, findings, and all of that sort of thing. But he has always denied, steadfastly denied, any evidence of a chamber under those posts. He Mm. has been firm on that. He doesn't believe the radar and he doesn't believe the seismic stuff.
10: Right. But if you you take it step by step, the way Casey unfolds that area and the use of the area, and he's very specific, and also Edgar Casey was also very avidly, every year of his life, he read... uh, the Bible through, you know, completely from top to bottom every year for his life. I mean, he also tied in with scripture where, like, Moses was trained in the mysteries of Egypt, and and many times it mentions in scripture, you know, over and over where Joseph and Mary fled to Egypt, and there there is quite a tie in there between what we are getting in scripture, what Edgar Casey has said about that area. And if the information is under the Sphinx, as he says, uh, given Casey's background, also in the Masonic Order, I don't know, but I think this ties in maybe with a peacemaker. Those who would have such information would have to have the right, um, what was the word that you used a while ago? Um, well, uh, right handling, understanding. Right, understanding. Understanding, that's it. Yeah.
1: All right, um, all right, thank you. I would Uh, believe that. I I think that's a valid point. I wouldn't dispute that. Do you think
0: that uh, Zahi Awas uh, unreasonably ignores uh, anything that is in the slightest uh, unscientific and leans toward the metaphysical? Do you think he's got a bias against that, a natural bias as a scientist?
1: Uh... Yeah, I I think that's a fair statement. I don't know if I would categorize it as a bias. I think that he just thinks that, I mean, when we originally started our project in 95, it was called Legends of the Sphinx. And uh, he spent hours telling me some wonderful legends, everything from King Solomon to to lions leaping out from under the Sphinx to to, to guard the dead.
0: Legends, yes, but when it really gets down to it,
1: when it really gets down to it, the man is a scientist. The man believes in what he finds. He believes in archaeology,
0: what he can lay his hands on. Exactly and prove. right.
1: Yes. He, right. he does not. He does not embrace anything uh, otherworldly or uh, other dimensional, metaphysical. Nothing metaphysical, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean that doesn't that doesn't make him any different from from Mark Laner or any of the other scientists I've met since I've been working on this project. They're all pretty steadfast. I mean, even. Even Robert Shaw was a little bit was we used to call it the A word. If anybody mentioned Atlanta, Shaw used to get up and leave the room.
0: <laughs> uh, west of the Rockies, you're on the air with Boris Said. Good morning.
13: Good morning. Um, hi, my name is Grace, and I'm 14. My mom wanted me to call.
0: Okay, Grace, uh, you're going to have to really get into the phone and yell at us. Where are you?
13: Um, I'm in Rancho Cucamonga California. Okay. And um, I'm 14, and my mom wanted me to call. Okay. Because for a long time, um, I've always thought there to be a library under the Sphinx. Right. And um, I always thought there was a stairway leading down to the library, and it wasn't built underground, but it was built on top of the ground. And at the time it was built, it was on top of the ground, but um, it was covered by sand because of strong winds and... You know, as time passed, and I was wondering if this was like scientifically okay.
4: Possible. Well, they've done. I'll,
0: okay, I'll, we'll answer your question. I would presume that uh, Dr. Dubeki has done a great deal of ground-penetrating radar work uh, in in a circle surrounding uh, the area where he's found this chamber, looking yes. looking for something like this young lady just talked about.
1: Right. Uh, there's nothing that I've ever seen in any of his work. Uh, 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 Zev Coleman, the great Israeli uh, uh, bioenergist and, and psychic, uh, suggested that there were steps leading down to a chamber, and then steps leading down to yet another chamber. Right. And I think in some of some of some of the stuff that Jim Hertog is, Dr. Hertog has uncovered, uh, alludes to different levels beneath the Sphinx and, uh, and and inverted pyramids and and in water and all sorts of wonderful stuff. Um, we did find in our scientific investigations that the land fell away in front of the Sphinx and that it made, there was some evidence for the fact that the Sphinx was sitting on what would amount to have been a cliff. And then as the was gradually all silted in or sanded in as from the flow of the Nile. But I don't know anything about a, a, a staircase going down. I wouldn't dispute it. There may have been. I mean, I think all that terrain was different when the Sphinx was built.
0: All right, um, East of the Rockies, you are on the air with Boris Saeed. Good morning.
1: Hello, this is Walter in
0: West Chicago. Oh, West Chicago. Hi,
7: Walter. Yeah, uh, you want the secret to the pyramids?
0: Yes. Yes, we do. The the secret is the seven chords of ancient scriptures. You know what a chord is? Yes. Well, a chord is a, a, a tone. A, a I, awesome. I I know, you can do a chord on a piano. Yeah, right. That, that, I was told that, that that's
11: the secret to the pyramids, the seven chords of the ancients, ancient scriptures. And that, that would uh, that would be the the answer to your problem.
4: Well, that
0: would be off into the category of the acoustic expert, and I wouldn't be able to answer that. You know anything about
4: that, Boris?
1: Not a thing. I'd love to know what those chords are. I would love to see a diagram digra- diagramming the chords that we could send to Tom Damley and say, here, <laughs> Tom, run this through your computer.
0: Well, it may be you'll get down to some point uh, about halfway down that tunnel toward the uh, secret chamber, and there'll be something that won't open until. The right chords are
1: playing. <laughs> how do we? How do we find out what these seven chords are?
0: Um, I I don't know. Um, that's a good question. Um, first time caller line. You're on the air with Boris Saeed. Good morning.
1: Good morning, Art. Hi. Where are you? Uh, my name is Rod. I'm in Mississippi. Yes, sir. And uh, pyramids have always been a fascinating subject with me. Um, the nature of them themselves is kind of interesting, and I've actually done some uh, some scientific. Experiments with pyramids. Uh, in particular, I've, I've scaled my models according to those of the Great Pyramid, uh, such as you're discussing, and uh, there's a correlation between them. The height is always uh, 0.54 times the base, and it forms an angle of 47.36 degrees right. with the base. Now, that by itself is nothing. But the experiments that I performed is I took a I calculated the volume, which would be the base squared times one third the I mean the yeah, one third times the base squared and times the height. And formed a cube, which actually comes out to be uh the cube is about 0.56 on each side times uh the base. But anyway you you make uh I, I made a cube and a pyramid of the same volume. Align the pyramid north, south, east and west. And I put an orange, I cut an orange in half, put half the orange in the pyramid, half the orange in the cube. And I invite all the listeners to reproduce this experiment at home. make a scale model of the pyramid
14: of Giza. Yes. Ma'am. And, uh, put an orange, put a glass of milk, and I put, uh,
1: some bean sprouts in a moistened paper towel inside the pyramid, one inside the cube, also a dull razor blade. After three weeks, the razor blade was sharp. The bean sprouts had grown about three times as fast as the ones in the cube. The milk was not sour; it was in fact yogurt, and the orange, although dry on the outside, was a little juicy on the inside.
0: And uh, and the cube?
1: The cube? Oh, it was nasty. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty disgusting.
0: Um. All right. I I have heard this. Uh. That was well described. Now I've heard this same story from many many people about pyramids anywhere. Which may, by the way, account for why. Uh, We have found pyramids all over the world.
4: Right. Now,
0: an orange is an
4: organic thing. A human being is an organic thing. And it kind of makes you wonder uh,
0: do you think there is anything to this business about the
4: power of the pyramidal shape? Do I? Yes. You do?
1: Yes. Without question. But whether. The shape, uh, whether it's just the shape or the shape in concert with the vibrations is another story. I think it has to do, I think it's the whole thing taken together, and I, I, I personally think, I mean, we're on the way to proving the stuff about the sonics. Uh, it's going to be interesting to me to see the comparison between what happens inside Palenque, inside, uh, inside Teotihuacan, and inside the Great Pyramid because the shapes are so different. It will be interesting to see if there's a correlation there.
4: Well, if
0: there is indeed something to the metaphysical power, and I only use that word for lack of a better one, of the pyramid, then that may go to explain why we find pyramids that shape, in fact, all over
11: the
1: world. Right. I agree. I wouldn't doubt it for a minute. I don't think there's anything metaphysical about it. I think it's just a, an aspect of physics, as Michio Kapu would say, that we haven't come to understand yet.
0: And, and so we ascribe it to magic, that which right. we don't understand, of course. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Boris Saeed. Hello.
1: Hello,
11: good morning. Um, this is John in St. Louis, Missouri. Hi, John. I did some reading, and this is, again, very, very interesting topic, and you are talking about maybe having the pyramid at the tunnel open prematurely. In one of Casey's writings, or books that I've read is saying that behind the door in the Hall of Records, there's a century and there are a type of guard that has been set up. Exactly. That is only high minded people that are attuned with the planet or that are in tune with our.
0: Those with understanding.
11: And it, yes, yes. And I think that it's going to take, um, even though they go in or they do find it, um, it's going to be, uh, rather interesting on, uh, Who's going to be able to go in and maybe, you know, get to this uh, Hall of Records because they know that, I guess, they were...
0: Well, l- let me ask you this, caller, just for fun, okay? Uh, uh, let us say the tunnel is ready to be explored. Who would you imagine to have the better chance? The pragmatic scientist, uh, the director of antiquities, Dr. Zahia Was, or... Uh, uh, Boris Asahi, who is my guest tonight, and would appear to have more of a, quote, understanding of, of uh, the meaning of all this.
11: I think Boris would probably, someone that will not hide the truth, sort of like the Dead Sea Scrolls that are scattered and are not letting them out, something that, you know, he'll actually use it for, for good.
0: So you think that uh, Zahi might end up with a stake through his heart?
11: Well, no, I don't think it would be that serious, but I think it would be I think it would be more or less they'll give him the message that you know, no touch, no, 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 no touch, no touch. It's going to be a certain individual, certain type of person to go in.
0: All right, and on that note, I'll have to say thank you, and we will do one more hour coming up in some markets from the high deserts. I'm Mark Bell, and this is coast to coast am.
4: For the Twin Cities and Beyond, I'm Live on 1500
3: in the kingdom of Nye from east of the Rockies dial one 800 1 800 825 5033. From west of the Rockies, including Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, and New Mexico, call art at 1 800 618 8255. That's 1 800 618 8255. First time callers dial art at area code 702 727 1222. 702 727 1222. This is Coast Coast AM with Art Bell. Now
0: again, Here's our, here I am, and we have one line, uh, marginally available, maybe, the first time caller line at area code 702-727-1222. Our guest is Boris Saeed, and he is preparing to go shortly back to Egypt. Uh, financed by an incredible videotape that he has uh, produced about Egypt and about why we should be going back there that is available to you, and we'll tell you how to get it again shortly. Well, it is everywhere. Even Boris is a web guy, got a snappy, and he's going nuts. Everybody who gets one of these goes nuts when they realize they can take the best video and make stills out of it. It is a remarkable ability. Uh, Boris, you're back on the air. Again. I'm here. All right, good. Uh, Lots of people want to talk to you. So, first time caller in line, you're on the air with Boris Saeed. Hello.
5: Hello, Art. Uh, This is Josh in Oregon. Hi, Josh. Hi, Art. Good to talk to you finally. Um, Hello, Boris. Hi there, Josh. Hi. um, Grateful Deadhead fan here, and tonight I saw a video of Ken Kesey, Mary Prankster, climbing up one of the uh, pyramids in Egypt, placing the Grateful Dead emblem on top of the pyramid, um, that was interesting. I just wanted to mention that before I go into my question. Do you think, um, Zachariah Sitchin, author of Zachariah Sitchin's point in the book Twelfth Planet, uh, he mentioned the Hebrew word nephilim? Uh, what, what, would you think maybe that's behind the, uh, door that you guys are gonna, um, enter or whoever, whoever the high people go or maybe they'll take, uh, a, a, a grateful deadhead, uh, with them to, uh, to that, to that opening perhaps yeah. or? Or something, something like that. Even
1: <laughs> I, I don't know. Zach's work, Zach's work is very compelling. I I don't know what's behind that door. I I'm I'm the film documentarian. I'm trying clear of agendas and out of the line of fire politically here, and I'm going to try and get it open and say, okay, guys, what do you think it is? That's that's I'm I'm steadfastly I'm steadfastly neutral here, mm-hmm. but I think that mm-hmm. Zach mm-hmm. Zach may be right. That may be what's back
5: there. Uh, yeah. I mean, whatever that is. Uh, I said my suggestion would maybe take a couple good uh, musicians with you, or some really open-minded uh, qu- uh, healer-type people who are holders of uh, quartz crystals, or even amethyst crystals, or many of the minerals that are on this earth. Because uh, I mean, who knows what's really down there or up there? Or maybe that other caller said there's another dimension. You know, that could very well be. It could be a transportation. Well,
1: I, I think that last the last question we answered Art before the end of the. Of the hour, the lady said something about people being at the right vibratory, people being in tune, in harmony with the earth. If you go back to what Tom Danley was talking about, maybe that's what you did in the pyramid, was you got yourself into the right sort of harmonic relationship to the earth, and then you went in, went in the tunnel. And maybe it, maybe uh, whether Zahi Hawass lies in the, in the box, or I lie in the box, or Art Bell lies in the box, or John Anthony West, we all get the same kind of a, of a buzz, and in we go. It's just that simple.
0: <laughs> it could be that simple.
1: I mean, um, I'm, I I like to stay away from this sort of hierarchical approach to, to, to I'm more enlightened than you are, you know? I mean, <laughs> I think you can get a lot of trouble that way.
0: Well, maybe the tunnel will find out who is and who is not enlightened.
1: Well, that that is certainly a possibility. I can tell you this, that if somebody says we're going to open the tunnel, I'm going.
0: Um, Enlightened or not.
1: Yeah, Enlightened or not, and you can write on my tombstone, he almost made it. He <laughs> got closer than most.
0: I'll bear that in mind, Boris. Uh, wild card line, you're on the air with Boris Saeed. Hello.
4: Hello? Hello? We're here. Hello there. Going once. Going twice. Go on, East of the Rockies. You're on the air
0: with Boris Saeed. Hi.
14: Hi. How are you?
0: Just fine. Evening, where, gentlemen. Where are but you?
14: I'm in Peoria, Illinois. All right. Uh, Tim. Um I apologize <laughs> first. Um, I don't know if this has been covered or not. Uh I don't get to listen to the program from start to finish. I'm working. I understand. Um but the someone had said that <laughs> a gentleman had also said that only the right person at the right time could enter this this tunnel or this this hidden room the secret room um do you think that maybe it could be um that these were built as um <clears throat> like a legend like um that some like aborigines perform or um people of real deep thought and religion perform that um not of something that is going on when it's built but of something that they believe will happen I mean, do you understand what i'm saying
4: i'm not sure that i do
14: um you there are Help me
0: well i'm here but i'm not sure i understand either caller you want to rephrase it
14: please um well i'm i'm trying i'm losing my train of thought here um not so much that it was built the the pyramids were built and the tunnel was built um, for um a certain purpose at the time that it was built, but for something that was going to happen in the future. Oh. Um like art with your book, The Quickening, um you and a lot of your other guests talk about something that is taking place now, something that is going to happen. Okay.
0: If it was built by others, people Mm -hmm. from elsewhere, then what you are suggesting is certainly a possibility. Right. Uh, Mm -hmm. If, in fact, it was built uh, by people here on Earth, then I cannot imagine such an unbelievable endeavor would be undertaken without immediate reason. Right. Mm -hmm.
9: Exactly.
14: Well, if they had... Everybody talks about um, their advanced technology then, or... A technology that we don't understand that we have not tapped into um, if they had that and they had this knowledge or this technology, then they would know
4: uh well yes uh but uh, again,
0: it is the great mystery we don't know whether it's built by people who were just in egypt uh or five thousand years ago uh t- or whether it was built uh, twelve thousand years ago by. People from elsewhere, and and so your question uh, bears on which of those is true.
1: That's right, and it's a speculation. It could be. I mean, anything could be true. I, I what I'm trying to do, as I say, I repeat, trying to do is focus my attention on what we can determine, which is what are the possible, what are the possible reasons for the thing, what are the possible effects of its of its being. It is unquestionably there. It's one of the most extraordinary monuments on the face of the earth on the face of the earth. What
0: does it mean? Boris, uh, I, I, I'll ask you the straight-up question. I keep... I, I love... You still haven't seen Contact? Am I what? Have you seen the movie Contact? Yes, I have. All right. Oh, great. Um, do you remember the part where uh, the question was asked of Jodie Foster, is this worth dying for, the opportunity to go on that machine? Right. Is the opportunity to go down that tunnel and find out what might be in that chamber
4: worth dying for of
1: course of course because it hasn't been proved to me yet that dying is anything other than another life experience
2: okay
4: i mean I... i've
1: lived my whole life not so much in you know with with no regard for the possibility of dying but i think that that that, that death is is only a catastrophe in a three dimensional world. And if we're in a three dimensional world, then I might just as well be dead because it can't be a three dimensional world. Ask Michio. Uh-huh. Well that
0: that is absolutely correct. Uh West of the Rockies, you are on the air with the fearless Boris Saeed.
8: Yeah, hi, Art. Uh this is Jerry in Anchorage, <laughs> uh listening to the Mighty K E and
0: I. Anchorage, Alaska, yes, sir.
8: Um, I've got two questions. The second question, which is in two parts. Um question one uh do you Art, do you remember that chamber that that passageway they found inside the pyramid that's about eight inches square
0: Yes yes, yes Boris can tell you about that what about it
8: do you do you think that um maybe instead of it being meant to enter by humans did maybe a cat would go through it um I don't know Egypt
0: the ancient Egyptians certainly worshiped cats
8: yeah and um my second question is
0: but cats, cats are listen- cats are really lousy at opening doors <laughs> <laughs>
8: um my second question is if this hollow record or whatever is found underneath the sphinx um is found um then it, the knowledge contained um if um, if the knowledge contained and found there would be so radical as to change the government systems yes. on the planet of the uh, on the planet of yes. earth, and cause such chaos that, yes. uh, what what would happen could that possibly be what starts the seven years of tribulation
4: <laughs> uh the answer would have to be yes, it could be uh Boris
1: well. We did that we did this thing on dating the sphinx, okay? And I think we proved pretty conclusively that sphinx was a lot older scientifically. I don't see anybody burning any textbooks. I don't see I don't see the academic community accepting this knowledge. I think if we get into the into this chamber and there's a big sign that says, you know, God is alive and living in Lodi, New Jersey, I don't think the world is going to suddenly go to Lodi and 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 bow down. In other words, I, I don't think that our society is so so malleable that it's going to change directions 180 degrees or, or even five degrees according to something that we find in Egypt. I think it takes a long time to make this shift come about, mm-hmm. and 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 that's one of the reasons why. I mean, absolutely, all these things are, certainly are possible, but but I don't believe that I don't believe that we're going to find something which is suddenly going to make everybody in the world turn 180 degrees. And certainly I don't think it's going, to, it's going to have any effect on religion, which is basically an abstract kind of a, of a, of a system of meditation. Isn't it? I mean, it's, it's, certainly it's abstract. I, I can't imagine you're going to find a, a tablet down there that says stop believing in God.
0: Well, I, I don't believe that either, Boris, but I do believe that the Hall of Records could reveal a reality that predates um, our knowledge of God a couple of thousand years ago. I think that would in, be fabulous. As imparted by Jesus and uh, that would be real trouble. Real trouble.
1: Yes it would. But I think that I think that we're in real trouble to begin with <laughs> the question of question of degree. I think if, if we can come out of this whole search for knowledge with a better understanding of how to survive, a lot of people may, you know, uh, may be able to do something else with their bomb shelters. Uh,
0: east of the Rockies, you are on the air with Boris
4: Said. Hello.
10: Hello, this is Sharon from Georgia. Hi, Hi Sharon. Sharon. Hi, how y'all doing? Well, I've been thinking about this. Um, you know how there was always a curse on the tombs when anybody went in there that got sick, or, or a supposed curse. You know,
0: no, literally? no, 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 not supposed. There uh, was a curse. There was a well. curse, and there were people who died. The, uh, Boris will
4: tell you about that in a minute.
10: Okay, well maybe maybe that uh, has something to do with the sinks too because maybe there's something radioactive in there or something. And anybody with knowledge might better take a Geiger counter in there or something, you know?
4: <laughs> well, uh,
0: whatever it is that's in there may not be detectable by a Geiger counter. But Boris, why don't you tell us the story of the opening of, uh, of the tomb? Well, the...
1: this is really a more properly a, a an Egyptologist's yarn, but there was this man named Carter. Who opened, uh, who found the tomb of, of Tutankhamun after years and years and years of searching, and they opened the tomb and it was filled, as we all know, with riches. It's one of the most extraordinary finds of all time. And six of his closest associates, including his backer Lord Carnarvon, uh, died of mysterious ailments. I mean, one guy was bitten by some sort of bug, and I mean, these six people died of all sorts of mysterious diseases, and they all died apparently, like within a year of the opening of the tomb. So there's a lot there's a lot to be said about the reality of what we're calling a curse. Uh certainly it's it's possible. I mean uh, there are a lot more people believe in curses than don't believe in curses in this world. Uh-huh. So I believe that there could that could be absolutely valid there could be some sort of a of a psychic thing that's been put on these tombs and put on all of these places. But I think we have to have to push on in, in spite of it and uh and just hope that the answer will be there. I, I don't think I don't think we have to be I don't think we should be deterred by stuff like that.
0: All right. Um East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Boris Saeed. Good morning. Good morning. Where are you, sir?
1: I'm
13: in Oklahoma City.
0: Oklahoma City. All right. Speak up good and loud for us and ask your question.
13: Well I have uh two uh two questions really. One is you keep talking about uh, vibrations, and I read a a, a book, it's been a good while ago, that uh, there's some kind of tomb in Egypt there that it can be only lit up by the sun only one certain time of a year when the, the sun's at a certain angle. And all the rest of the time, you know, it don't never uh, light up the whole uh,
0: town. Okay, well, that's Indiana Jones stuff. Or is there something to that, Boris?
1: Although there's something to that. There's the uh, there is a room in the Karnak Temple in which there is a fabulous statue of Sekhmet, and the sun only shines through a crack in the ceiling and illuminates the statue on one day of the year. There's also the famous uh, Holy of Holies at the at at Abu Simbel, which is the, of course a temple that was moved and there's one day of the year i believe the 21st of october when the sun when it rose lit up the very depths of that of that of that uh temple that's absolutely valid
4: and
13: uh, the second question is you keep talking about
1: a a, a library
13: supposedly in uh, that uh, chamber and stuff the
0: hall of records yes yes
13: have you ever uh, wondered what kind of language it would be in if it would be in like a, a hieroglyphics or would it be like a, the nation cure uh, form or
0: something. Well, it's a very, very good question. Uh, if it's hieroglyphics, they're going to be able to decipher it. If it's in something that uh, is indecipherable, then I'm afraid the answer points toward uh, <laughs> points toward something we may not want to know about, uh, Horace.
1: Well, I don't know. If I were, to, if you were to ask me to pick a language, I'd pick mathematics. I'd pick numbers.
0: The, uh, the the most common language of all
1: exactly I think I think if you look at what's happening with the crop circles and uh, and and all of that sort of stuff there's a geometry involved and and, and with Richard Hoagland's stuff there's a, the the stuff that makes it believable is the geometry and the mathematics so that would be my bet
0: Hoagland as you know is uh, very suspicious uh, that Whatever we find over there will have been found or investigated or removed by somebody before we
4: can get to it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I know Richard well, and, and that's been his that's been his thesis all along. He may be right, but so what? I mean, that doesn't mean. <laughs> how does that alter our our course?
0: Quite correct, Boris. Uh, hold tight. We'll be right back to you. It is the bottom of the hour.
1: It's been a
6: too long time. With no peace of mind, and I'm ready for the time to get better.
0: This is Crystal.
6: No doubt It's been a too long time With no peace of mind And I'm ready for the time To get better I know, but I can't change, tried to tell you, but you look at me like maybe I'm an angel underneath, innocent and sweet, yesterday I cried, must have been relieved to see the softer side. Can understand how you be so confused I don't envy you I'm a little bit of everything All rolling into one I'm a bitch, I'm a lover I'm a child, I'm a mom
3: Taking your calls on the wildcard line at area code 702 727 1295. That's area code 702 727 1295. First time callers may reach art at area code 702 727 1222. 702 727 1222. This is Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. All of this probably even true of Cleopatra. What do you
0: think? Depends on the day, I'd say. But you really can't lose. Because you buy it and use it. And if in 90 days it does not do precisely what I say, you get all your money back. Ironclad Guarantee. one 800 406 Zero four six nine. Once again here is Boris Saeed. Boris? Yes, sir. You've done very well. Thank uh you. We, we are in the stretch run here. Okay. Uh, now your videotape is absolutely astounding. I've got a copy so now I, I can tell the audience that. I watched it stem to stern. They will love it. How do they get it? one eight hundred
1: two four three
0: two four three
1: one four three eight.
0: One four three eight, and it's twenty five bucks plus three dollars shipping and handling.
1: Right, and all all the contributions they are donations. They all go directly and specifically towards our efforts to get back over there this spring and get that tunnel open. I'm going to take twenty people with me as witnesses. They're going to go at fifty percent of a normal normal rate, which is our film crew rate with Egypt Air and uh, the local Mohonpic Hotel over there, which five star hotel two people are going to go absolutely free of the 20 but so
0: so they're really uh financing the expedition
1: that's right and 20 of the 20 of their number are going to come over and be witnesses to what we find incidentally i should say that in addition to that 800 number if you're in seattle which is where i am or outside the us it's 425 455 1053 425 455 1053 if you're in seattle or outside the U.S.
0: When can they call these numbers?
1: Anytime. It's a 24-hour service. I think they have an answering service on at night, but it's a 24-hour fulfillment service. You leave your credit card number or whatever, and they send you the, uh, the tape. And you can either buy it by credit card, or you can order by by fax, by mail. You can send them a check or whatever.
4: Okay. Uh,
0: all right. Here we go. First...
1: 25 bucks plus $3 uh, shipping and handling.
0: First time caller online, you're on the air with Boris Saeed. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, right now, yes. We we don't uh, screen calls, so oh, okay. You're on.
4: Uh, super.
2: I'm uh, Dan. I'm calling from Vancouver. Okay, and, then.
13: Um, what
2: I'm asking is probably something bizarre and probably makes no sense to you, both of you, but uh, I'm just wondering if maybe the chambers um, is something
0: from like some people don't like to talk about extraterrestrials that probably came here in the past. And maybe there was a chamber where they kind of adapted to
9: our Earth before they felt comfortable enough to uh, wander among us. Like for example, the different races that we have, they all seem to be
1: in different areas. And uh, I'm just wondering if that chambers maybe were used in that respect. And also, you think of a, of other pyramids? Do they have chambers alike? And what their frequencies or resonance? uh be uh connected to
0: the main one there well opinions are like pyramids they're all over the world <laughs> uh and yours is fine uh mine i i think my opinion varies between two possibilities uh one is that um yes uh all of that was put there by somebody from or somebody's from somewhere else i consider that to be a 50 percent possibility Along with the possibility that um ancients here on earth put it there, so that we might know how to avoid what seems to be a coming event or cataclysm, if you will
4: boris
1: uh, why not? I think that's as good a theory as any All right. again i I believe that uh that there were people uh that lived in other places or beings that lived in other places. I can't imagine we're alone in the universe. Uh again, I'm trying really hard as a documentarian to focus on what is demonstrable, what what basically we can convey to people and what people can understand. And I think any of these speculations are valid. Uh if you ask me what I believe, yes, I believe that there were there were beings from other other planets, other other worlds if you like, who who were here for whatever reason. I think I think that fiction stuff is is really very interesting. So is some of Von Daniken's stuff, for that matter. I mean, there's, there's all sorts of valid speculations as to where all this stuff okay, came Okay, one
0: thing that I ran into uh, in when I was in Egypt that I'm hard-pressed to explain uh, until I thought about it a little bit is the tombs of the workers. Now, I saw them. I was there. Okay. I, I walked among them, and this is where the people who actually built the pyramids are buried. Now, that doesn't mean that they did it alone. That doesn't mean that there was not intervention that allowed them to build what otherwise, uh, even with thousands of workers, would be literally impossible. Right. And so when I saw these tombs, I thought
4: okay, here it is. This is the explanation. People built them. Obviously, people built them. But it does
0: not answer all the questions, not by a long shot. Not even with that many people can you imagine how they were put together. There's simply no acceptable scientific explanation for that. Even
4: Zahi Was admits that. Okay. I agree. He admits that. He says, yeah, but we don't know
0: how they did it. And so that would indicate to me that uh, uh, maybe they were directed and assisted. Just my little theory.
1: I wouldn't disagree with that.
0: Okay. West of the Rockies, you're on the air with Boris Saeed.
15: Hi, guys. This is Debbie. I'm from Denver. Hi, Debbie. And I'm wondering, you know, are, you were just in Egypt and you were in that sarcophagus. Yes. And Greg Braden um, talks about that those... Those things simulated the zero point that he sees us heading towards with the zero magnetics. Yep. And increased frequency, the, the base resonant frequencies. Did you feel something maybe akin to something that we're heading towards when you were in there?
0: I had no great revelation, if that's what you mean. Um, what I felt, I cannot yet put words to, but it was a sort of a... jeez. <laughs> uh... What I felt, I felt in every fiber of my being, my whole body, there was no question about it, but I experienced no out-of-body stuff, I experienced no revelation or anything like that, Uh, but something was definitely going on. I'm, I'm sorry, that's insufficient. One day I'll figure out how to say it all.
15: Well, maybe we all, and one of the things that I'm wondering about, about getting into this Hall of Records, when they talk about the right people going in greg also talks about being able to maintain a certain frequency level in our bodies based on emotions and that sort of thing right and if maybe that was a tuning device i like some of the um the ancient initiates went through that and they were tuned to to things that we were going to be experiencing here and now and and if maybe that is a prerequisite to being able to enter into
0: to that whole well, that certainly, uh, thank you, is exactly what Edgar Casey has said.
1: That's what a lot of callers have said tonight. I mean, that seems to be like a consensus of what's going to happen. And, uh, well, I wouldn't just believe it. I mean, that's coming from an awful lot of different people.
0: Well, I guess they feel it, too. And, and so one really has to wonder if Zahi leads the way, how he'll fare. <laughs> I'll ask him that uh
1: zahi's um, getting a bad rap here. Zahi may believe you know i mean zahi, let's face it, zahi has got a very very uh, difficult position and a very volatile job, and who knows what he really believes
0: well, I'll tell you what he said. uh we stood on the uh the side of the sphinx by that little hole that goes down three meters okay. And I asked Zahi directly, I've got it on tape, I said, Zahi, what do you think is beneath the Sphinx? And he stopped cold, and he said,
4: nothing. I think
0: there is nothing down there. Uh, He said, but I understand the world's people need a reason to hope. And he said, that's fine, but uh, if you ask me what I think is here, nothing. He said, not one grain of sand, not one artifact has ever been found on the entire plateau to suggest there was Atlantis or anything else ever present.
1: But that's the party line. Or that's what that's what present-day academia believes. And if I were the director of the Giza Plateau and working for the Egyptian government, and um, that's what I would say, too. Publicly? Publicly, of course.
0: Now, do you think that Zahi privately has more of a metaphysical outlook on it? In other words...
1: Will I personally think that in
0: other uh, words, let me finish. An, me an, an understanding, <laughs> Does Zahi have an understanding that would allow him to enter if Casey is correct?
1: My personal belief <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna have my head chopped off. Yes, that's what I believe. I believe that Zahi is 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 much more open than people give him credit for being, and I think Zahi is in a in a terribly difficult position. With a lot of pressure on him, and I think he's saying just exactly what the job calls for. And I mean, there's mm-hmm. a job ethic involved with being the director of the plateau. That's true. First, but, uh, if I, I believe that if I demonstrate to Zahi that something's there, Zahi is going to, Zahi is going to uh, embrace it. I, I, I think he's he's open to that.
0: All right. First time caller line, you're on the air with Boris Saeed. Hello. Hello.
16: Hello. Hello. Hi. My name is Carol, I'm calling from Sacramento.
4: yes, Carol.
16: I am a little nervous because I always have microphone-itis. <laughs> <laughs> but I wanted to tell you guys um first of all, I'm kind of amazed that you have not discussed uh, the Roman historian Josephus and what he said uh about the pyramids being erected by shepherd kings who came out of the east. They were Arabian um according to his own records um uh, anyone's library goes to his see his writings he says that and also in isaiah nineteen nineteen, um the lord says in isaiah nineteen nineteen quote i have placed signs and wonders in the middle of egypt and at the border thereof even unto this day now the phrase unto this day is a code phrase for the last days okay and I'm,
0: how, I'm, how do you know how do you know that
16: i'm studying the bible studying things around the Bible.
0: Well, what passage would indicate that that is um, a code for the last days?
16: Well, um, the word is hermeneutics, okay, and it's a long word, but uh, unto this day means the last of the days.
0: All right, well, if we take then what she said literally, uh, I would say that we are um, we're close to that time based on what's going on in the world right now and the way we're headed ecologically. Uh, if if this is all to be discovered in the last days, then I think that will be pretty soon. That's just my opinion. Wildcard line, you're on the air with Boris Saeed. Good morning.
12: Good morning, Eric. I was just wondering, uh, Boris, has anyone ever taken the the pyramid? I understand yeah, obviously it's at an angle. Has anyone ever extended the lines out? Uh, using obviously the earth's round, and what I'm suggesting is that there's the pyramid as, as this point, and then taking the lines or the angles of the pyramid and taking them all the way out to the earth and see what
1: geometric pattern or where the points would meet. I don't know, does that make any sense? It makes sense. I would think if anybody's ever done anything like that, it would be Richard Hoagland. I, I don't exactly. know of it. Because but even our, uh, on that one, uh, um, illustration that you
12: have on your webpage that you just put out that symbol that people see it looks like a tetrahedron. Yes. You know, that you know, when I look at that, if I just put that little point of that like say the circle is the earth and I put that little point instead of being inside the circle, just a little bit outside the circle, see what I'm saying? Yes, I do. I wonder if anyone's ever done that. And I know I don't think the Earth's perfectly round, so you'd probably have to do some uh with me. I just wonder if anyone ever did that. And I'd be interested to see where those points, what, what was at the end of that?
0: Okay, Boris was correct. The person you'd want to ask about that uh, would be Richard Hoagland. He's done a lot of work in that area. Uh, east of the Rockies, you're on the air with Boris Saeed. Where are you, please? Uh, Texas. Texas, okay. <clears throat> uh, we're the Hall of Information or the Hall of uh, this library, we'll make sure I think it exists. Well, nobody knows for sure. Edgar Casey uh said that there would be a chamber found beneath the left paw of the sphinx, and sure enough, uh it has been found. so you know that's better than I, that's a pretty good wild guess, wouldn't you say
1: okay. so Ed, we oh. we know there's a chamber there because the radar and the ground penetrating radar and the and the sizing stuff shows us a, a chamber. we don't know what's there.
7: Well, has so, there been a practical use for pyramids throughout the century besides tombs? Have they
0: been just used for tombs? No, no, they were never used for tombs. Well, what were they built for? Ah, that's the $64 million question.
1: That's right. That's what the whole, what the whole thing is about here. That's yeah. what, have they been invaded, broken into around the earth? And oh, yeah. What's been found in them? Nothing.
0: Nothing. You yeah, see, that's the great myth. Uh, the great myth is that pyramids are burial tombs, and that's absolutely incorrect. So if you get anything out of the program tonight, get that, and that should start you wondering, well then, what are they? And that's what this is all about. West of the Rockies, you're on the air with Boris Saeed. Hello.
12: Hi, Art.
9: Uh, this is Mike in KUF Country. Yes, sir seems uh, like years ago, I remember hearing um, Dr. Gene Scott mention that uh, at the bottom of the descending passageway in the Great Pyramid, there was a bottomless pit that they never found the bottom to. Not that I know of. I was wondering if your guest
0: would uh, have any clues to that. All right. Well, I, I, I don't know anything about a bottomless pit. A
1: pit the pit is a devil of a long way down there, I'll tell you, as it is, I believe, 200 176 paces up to the King's Chamber. It's something closer to 300 down to that pit.
0: Well, yeah, but that's not
1: bottomless. It's not bottomless. I've been down there. It's a very claustrophobic uh, experience, and it's a long way down, and it seems to be three times as far coming back up, but it's not bottomless.
0: Yeah, nor is it a, uh, I mean, I guess you could say a devil of a distance.
1: (laughs) Yes, but not. It certainly has a bottom.
0: Alright. Wild Guard Line, you're on the air with uh Borasai. Hello. Hello. Yes, sir. Hello. Turn your radio off.
7: Yeah, thank you. Um, um well uh I just want to uh say what a delight it is to hear this approach about this subject. Um this is Alan and Eugene. Hi there. And um I this the uh information about uh, perhaps some kind of uh uh, guards at the uh, doorway or passageway into this. Um, there's a uh, Native American story that uh, seemed to come to mind about that, about uh, white buffalo calf woman. Yes. And uh, the two men who spotted her, uh, one was um, essentially destroyed by his lust, his greed, in meeting her, and the other had a reverent attitude and um he was uh, rewarded with um, i guess the knowledge yes so uh, that uh, to me that seems like a good analogy for what might happen when this uh this uh, tunnel
0: is explored
4: well caller uh where do you say you were
7: uh eugene
0: eugene oregon. oregon um if you had the opportunity to go down the tunnel do you think you would be qualified to do it would you do it fearlessly?
7: Well, um, I guess uh, that's... I think I would. (laughs) I'll I'll tell you what what I think I would hope to be able to do is to do it... uh, with a sense of reverence,
1: wonder, and uh, some joy.
0: And all right. Well, uh, very good. I think that's I, I probably...
1: I would agree with that, tape. and I never said I'd go down there fearlessly. I just said given the opportunity to go, I'd go.
0: All right. Um, the videotape will explain it all to you, and you can get it by calling 1-800-243-1438. I've got the numbers. Oh, 1-8- 1-800-243-1438, or if you're in California... Uh, no, I'm sorry. If you're in... Uh, Washington Washington, or maybe out of the country you can call area code 425-455-1053 Boris, we're out of time
1: Well, thanks again,
0: Art Ah, you bet, thank you We'll do it again and I guess pretty soon, Boris we'll know
1: Well, I hope so, I hope so I hope you can join us when we go over
0: Um, either that or I will read your eulogy
1: Good night, Boris. Good night, Art.
0: Uh, Good night, everybody.